Johnny. Hey. Welcome to welcome to the Shadcast. You're our first uh, first guest ever. I usually just ramble to myself on this thing and uh, talk about Austin life, food, music, you know, the uh, the dining scene and wine, booze. All right, sounds sounds up my alley. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like the themes are to me what Austin is all about. Like sugar. Oh, there we go. There you go. Uh, talking to the mic. And, uh, you know, to me, you're quintessential Austin. You're a native. An actual native, yeah. A natural native, which is so cool. Yeah. Because most of us moved here from other places. Yeah. It's pretty strange. Uh, as a, as a, uh, as a Houstonian, you know, we would, uh, come up here for, you know, like, uh, weekend getaways and, uh good place to eat mushrooms away from uh, suburbia and the dregs of Houston. Yeah, that's fine. Soul-sucking. Yeah, we would go to to Houston to stay at my grandma's house. I'm half Houstonian. Houston is just a place to be with your family. Yeah. What is that? Ice cream man? That is uh, my dishwasher. Nice. (laughs) That's right. That's right, folks. Completely amateur hour over here with the goddamn dishwasher jingle. I like that it has a jingle, though. But, uh, yeah, I, I hear that dishwashers are going to start uh, connecting with other um, d- uh, appliances in your household and eventually will be intelligent to the, fact, to the point of, like, knowing when your dishes are actually clean or uh, stopping when it's actually done or... You know, your refrigerator keeping track of how much milk and, and how many eggs you're using at what rate. And it'll, like, maybe even order it on Amazon for you, uh, which will be delivered in 24 hours. And we're going to have all these smart appliances mm-hmm. and the Internet of Things. But Yeah, we just got a Nest last week. Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> had been messing with that and already can tell that it it's turning on way less than our old thermostat and it like already knows that like oh it's if it's close to where it should be triggering it but it's warming up outside it doesn't turn on the heater it's just like this is weird you know and like already trying to help it by letting you know when you're home or away is kind of funny because <clears throat> uh, you know it's just like an appliance but at the same time it's like monitoring you know where i'm at so that it knows if i if it should turn it on or go to this like other mode that keeps it you know, in between the safe electrical zone or whatever, where it doesn't turn on for, like, a lot of temperature loss. Uh-huh. So it's pretty interesting. So it'll turn the heater or the cooler uh, and mm-hmm. the AC on depending on the temperature. Like, you're just trying to keep it. You tell it, hey, uh, this is the temperature. You schedule, you know, you program it out for the week. And then it'll do whatever needs to be done to combat the ambient temperature and turn on the heat or the yeah. Or even usually it's like we're firing up the heater yeah for the winter and it's like a big deal. Like yep. the first time I smell that, it, you know, and it seems to get later and later every year. Like we had this tiny little cold snap and then yeah, and it's hot again. It's pretty. It's, I mean, so you can monitor your usage on it by the day. So that's been interesting too, and just for a week already, like having data that's like readily available of how long this thing went on when it turned on we have it set to heat and cool and you know it pretty much only kicks on the air conditioning right after i finish cooking so at night like around the same time every night it heats for 20 minutes or something or cools for 20 minutes 
and uh, the heater only comes on right right before we wake up. So it's really strange. And like that one is. day on Wednesday, it didn't even turn on at all. Nothing turned on. So that's uh, a smart thermostat. Is yeah. that what they're calling it? A it's learning, like a, a learning thermostat. So a learning thermostat. Yeah. And then it, I wonder if it communicates that data to some. I always picture some malevolent brain floating in, you know, in some sort of liquid hooked up to all these wires. It's just like constantly... Crang? <laughs> just constantly taking in all the information of the world yeah. and uh, getting bigger and stronger and more dangerous. No, it's interesting because, you know, I think I was looking at uh, our Texas Gas Service gas usage and how our usage is down, but the, since they raised the price this year our bills are still up and then thinking about what this thing will do um and how that'll affect you know our gas usage it's already pretty i mean again like having any kind of data that you can look at and be like this is really cool because now you can track your patterns uh and that's kind of just odd if you're thinking about your heating and cooling needs uh but smart you know i mean if we don't have to pay 250 dollars a month in the summer for electric because our ac is smarter that sounds good to me. And the city just put out a new app for uh, counting water usage and wastewater usage that you can put on your phone that'll tell you what your meter's doing. Mm. And it's like called like drop, drop tracker or something like that when it counts every every bit of water usage that your house wow. has. So I'm also interested in looking at that. Yeah, I think I run too many laundry loads. I should probably collect rainwater. Um, probably too many showers going on in this household. I could probably, that's probably, you know, I try to be pretty eco, but I think that's a, a place I could probably, uh, watch, watch my shit a little closer. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's probably, it's just not very long until we'll have smart washers and dryers that'll, like, again, like you're saying, know how to conserve or if they could just tell me when to do my laundry, that'd be a lot better uh, yeah that's like I'm, maybe i'm not using as much water because i suck at doing laundry i would love if i could get a dryer that actually a dried my shit or <laughs> b uh everything didn't come out all wrinkled <laughs> that's what i'm yeah that's what i'm pining for but uh yeah man uh, back to austin uh it, it's so cool I you know living in this town i think you know uh this this podcast is kind of a cool um, reflection on a, a part of a part of Austin, you know, that gets I think most of the attention, which is kind of our culture, um, and you know, you've seen it go from from what I think of as like a small uh, town full of politicians and college kids and slackers, and it's like you know that kind of um, uh, Texan classic Texan and tons of Mexicans, you know, like to being this huge thriving metropolis full of techies and and uh, the same it seems like most of the same people are still there but we just added all these out of towners and techies and um they've built these huge sky rises everywhere and there's all these restaurants and more coming i mean just the new fairmont has five four or five restaurants in it you know i mean that's mm -hmm. And then you have certain restaurants that are great that are struggling. You don't see people in as much. You know, like I, I always think of Zach's Pints and Plates. Like that's a perfectly good, uh, like in my opinion, it would kill any Bennigan's or Chili's or yeah. Yum Brands bullshit in a town um, by and just it, offering American cuisine. You can have a better location. Yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> right in the middle of town. And, and yet, you know, I can always count on going in there and getting brunch. 
and it's like exactly you know it's eggs and avocados and black beans and english muffins and hollandaise sauce like you know what i think of as brunch and all the beers and mimosas and whatnot bloody mary's uh yet it's empty they got patio space you know it's this kind of thing it makes me think like all these new restaurants that are opening and being in the wine business that's it's very exciting for business you know but uh you know how can they all survive you know there's so many great like just say the top restaurants that people are talking about like Komori and Otoko I mean they didn't even exist four or five years ago yeah. you know like two years ago yeah Monger is one of my favorites that just popped up you know unexpectedly on the east side uh what do you, you know how do you feel about the food scene in the in the cultural explosion of Austin I, I think it's it's changing a lot um and and it's becoming, I mean, besides the inter, like, inner Austin restaurant group growth and kind of comp- competition that's happening there, uh, chains are really targeting Austin, it seems like, for moving in, which is kind of strange because it doesn't seem like Austin would be as into that. But as Austin has grown and people have come from other places, I think some of that desire uh, kind of came with it, like, Fox Restaurant Concepts is a great example. They, you know, do True Food Kitchen and uh, Culinary Dropout and Flower Child, all those, and North, you know, so they've got a ton of properties here now, and they're packed all the time, and they're doing crazy numbers, like what we would do in a week, you know, in a day. And that's crazy. When you say we, you like I'm talking about like Black Star. Black Star like, yeah, Co. like some people Black are Star Co. using yeah. that as like the example. Like people that had left from there to go to one of their properties were saying, "Yeah, our sales numbers are like what we were doing in a week and like like every day." And that just blows my my mind. Like it's just fucking crazy that that would ever be the case. So, but the like honeymoon period that restaurants have seems like that window is getting like shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, you have like institutions who who are going to weather like any kind of up and down in the sales climate, but uh, but you know, kind of struggling to to meet this demand of like a new restaurant opening every other week that, that takes some of the air out of the room, you know, and then and then when that place is not hip and whatever anymore, the next set of restaurants and it's like this keeps happening over and over again to where people are. I don't know, there's like an inundation with choice, hyper-choice almost at that point. Um, in, a, in a very slim, you know, margin of, of, of offerings. Uh, so that's why I think like you have your places that really excite people like Kim Murray or Didi, that food trailer that does the Northern Thai food, which is excellent. Um, gotta go. Gotta go. And, and you know, things like that that, that, are, that are outside of this like new American kind of concept uh, they're more exciting, so I think they have a little bit more like, I don't know, wiggle room. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's I think it's pretty challenging. And not only that, there's like a massive labor shortage. And I think, you know, Austin's not alone in that. That's a national thing, but it's, it is pretty trying. Uh, trying to staff a new restaurant right now, and it's like impossible to find cooks, uh, schedule four interviews in a day and zero show up, things like that. It's pretty, makes it pretty difficult. Because they just have so many options. I mean, they, they can just go, you know, if, you know, they don't get hired at this restaurant, the next one will hire them because everyone's short on yeah. talent. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, there's people that, you know, all across the country that are trying to figure out, like, what is the deal? Is it a motivation thing? Like, you know, a lot of people have left the industry as cooks, and that's really challenging. Um you know they're saddled with debt from their student loans, and they don't, they know they can't they can't make money for years, and they've got to pay those loans back. And a lot of people have bailed because of that. 
And that's sad, you know, that's like a waste of talent. Uh, or like the next generation of people that are potentially passionate about, you know, food cooking and making people happy, you know, <clears throat> is really what it comes back down to. So I don't know, it's interesting in Austin. Uh, I think I think that it's, it's a challenge too because as the city is expanding in its, uh, you know, in its just footprint and also its kind of growth culturally, uh, you know, I think back to when I was a kid and there it was a much slimmer option. You know, you basically had Tex-Mex uh, and you had barbecue and you might have various like Chinese restaurants or buffets, I guess is more what they were in the 80s and 90s. Right. And, um, you know, it wasn't very diverse. There was like pizza places and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it really was a lot smaller of a town with a lot less uh, influence uh, from other other types of cuisine, and I think that has been that has been a significantly uh, positive thing over the last fifteen years is the diversity, and at least starting to have some diversity in Asian cuisines and uh, different types of Indian food, also, and you know more more types of pizza, not just like kind of our commodity pizza that we were getting back in the day. Yeah, Papa John's. The big like Ninja Turtle here. slices, you know, <laughs> actually having like more I don't know more refined pizza options which sounds silly but I mean that's like what it is right I mean, yeah we eat a lot of pizza so yeah, at least we do yeah so you know probably too much yeah maybe um, and as that has changed you know the the level for you know, the again it's like it's like wild animals right it's like uh, competition for resources it's always coming back for that and like the resources in this case are, are patrons right they're not you know water and food it's like how do you how do you compete in a narrow market uh what makes you special you know what is what is the standout thing you know as especially as you've seen too i mean the last 10 years uh or even the last five uh farm to table food goes from being like super niche thing where you go to a restaurant they're like we source from these farms and we get our meat from here we do this stuff in-house and then now everybody even the chains are like we are doing in-house charcuterie and you know, buying from local farms, and it might be they buy like the radishes that week from the local farm, but they're still doing it. They're still contributing to that local like food economy, but kind of perverting it in a way that makes it less uh, less impactful than it was. Uh, at one level, it's more impactful because you're starting to have more volume, more small farmers, things like that. But at the same time, it's you also have uh, this like oversaturation of this thing as a brand, which is like farm to table food. And it doesn't always mean what it used to, because as people grow with that, people, you know, they could have a menu that has like salmon on it and they're still a farm to table restaurant in Austin, Texas. Like where are you getting this salmon or, you know, they're choosing to eat things out of season yet. It's still, it's interesting, you know? And I think that's one of those things like you need to be a hardliner or you can like understand that. Yeah. I mean, that's diluted now. So anybody can do that year round and, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we both read. I don't, it was probably Michael Pollan uh, book where they're talking about farm to table not even being uh, that sustainable. It was an omnivore's dilemma, perhaps, yeah. where they're just talking about the amount of energy uh, used and you know, fuel and petroleum and blah blah blah, um, and it ends up being you're not even really helping the environment. That yeah. much. In fact, you're oh, probably yeah. hurting the environment by not buying. From big uh, agra or whatever. Yeah, you know, big no, food. There's also a paper, and I think maybe I've shared it with you in the past, but you know, uh, when I was at the food co op, um, <clears throat> you know, there's, I worked with some people and, and also sold food to some pretty hyper, 
hyper militant like vegans and things like that that were you know telling you all these things about what kind of food's poison and this murder and it's just like you know really politicizing food you know food is already like highly politicized uh but but in this in this way that really is like divisive and not about and it, and and ultimately, I mean, ultimately, it's moderately classist at, the, at its base. Of like people that can afford to have those choices in food don't even realize how how much that is over somebody who is poor and does. Like we were having this conversation last time we had pizza. Like people that are poor, they aren't concerned about that. They just want food, right? They want to have something they can feed twenty people with or fucking ten people with. They're not looking for you know the most boutique vegetables to, for, to support their elite diet of veganism or whatever it is you know. They're not buying napa cabbage or baby bok choy. Yeah, and they're they're not buying local baby bok choy in season like or which started last sprouted. week or you know whatever. <laughs> Bread. <laughs> yeah, I mean my point is that is that you know there's a paper that I used to like to like, use when I was more idealistic about these things, but it's called the least harm principle, and it's a, it basically shoots down like this noble idea that if you eat vegan you're you're suddenly like not causing death of of animals like you're not it's not it's an incongruous thought like this thing basically goes on to say that the like amount of of uh like weight of like mice voles uh moles uh little rabbits like things like that that live on farms that grow monocultural like agri products like soy they get chopped up in combines is is significant and that it, it almost equals like beef production and you start to hear that and you're like well that's wasted at least beef production gets eaten even if it's garbage to the environment like methane wise or whatever water, um, water particularly per Landers. per ounce of protein is like nuts but uh, and but the amount of land it takes. If your argument is like sanctimoniously about how you uh, you know are sparing the lives of animals, like same, like real vegans are like don't wear leather and shit, like mm-hmm. don't drive a car with they get vegan tires, you know, like sure. this, like things that you're like you know people are starving and you're able to buy uh, vegan tires, you know, yeah, um, and Fine. like putting those two things next to each other and like kind of unpacking that, like. Yeah, okay. You could be doing something better with your time and energy. But this thing basically saying that all these little tiny vermin are getting like pulverized and being like, don't get like too ahead of yourselves when you're touting like, you know, your tofu eating habits or whatever, which is, you know, a whole topic of itself. It's monocultural, like big agra stuff. You know, I mean, remember King Corn? Remember, did we go see that together? I think we did. and like how impactful that is when you start to think about corn and soy, you know, and, and modified wheat products and, you know, various things that are everywhere, you yeah. know, and you really start to think about how, you know, I mean, not to get into like Monsanto and things like that, but there was a thing on social media where somebody was asking about making pot roast <clears throat> and they're saying, hey, you know, should I put flour in there, uh, I rub it in flour before I sear it in olive oil. And I made a comment of like, hey, don't use olive oil, use like canola or something. Because, uh, you know, olive oil is like a low temperature thing. You're not going to want to sear meat in olive oil. It just doesn't, it's not practical. And that's, so that's what I, where I was coming from. It burns. Well, because it, it loses its flavor and it like has a really low smoke point. If you're trying to sear meat, like use butter or canola or, you know, bran oil something that can tolerate the heat bran oil yeah mm. exactly that's a <laughs> very expensive the bran oil um but this person was like don't use canola it's poison you know it's just like something that i've heard a lot and it's not true it's just like this idea that's that rape it's rapeseed rape but it's actually not anymore ever since the 60s they have 
through GMO. I mean, this is like, you know, this argument is open to me of like GMO being damaging or not. I don't think that it is. I think we don't know anything about it other than the fact that sometimes it can be used for good. If you like bananas, you're definitely eating with GMO. You know, I mean, that's the way it yeah. is. And they're trying to do the whole like, you know, feeding other feeding people through making like GMO modified rice, the golden rice, and things like that. That uh, yeah, it's just interesting. It's a it's very politicized again. Uh, and some people, you know, yeah, it could it they really like believe that it's poison and that canola oil is going to kill them. And canola oil is pretty much the healthiest of the vegetable fats. Is it? Um, yeah, it's really good, heart healthy. You know, is it the same fat substance that we called vegetable oil growing up? Mm-mm. Well, vegetable oil is a blend of, of soy and other other vegetable oh, oils. It's, it's like so the waste, soy is basically. A oh, it's a bean. It's a legume, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Maybe you buy soybean oil or vegetable oil is usually a blend of like cottonseed oil, soy oil, safflower, all these things that are probably like the tailings of other oil production that gets compli- combined and called vegetable oil. Vegetable oil seems like a, a little dubious, oil. right? Um, you know, so it, that's always a fun one. One of the ones that used to get me when I was a cashier way back in the day uh, was people that wouldn't let me scan their, like wouldn't let me push their vegetables across the register. They would make me pick them up over the laser. They didn't want their food to be irradiated. Oh. And I always thought that that was pretty funny. That the lasers from this little laser that scans UPC codes is somehow going to cause cancer or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, well, you worked at Wheatsville Food Co-op. And, <laughs> you know, it was part of my indoctrination into Austin culture was being, you know, burger shamed and... <laughs> Uh, like dramatically educated on the wrongs of big food. And, yeah, same. And I mean, you know, and, and even though to me it was uh, it was annoying at the time, I now look back at it as uh, you know I I've never been <clears throat> confrontational enough to really tell people what they should do, even though I know in my heart that you should shop local and you mm-hmm. should uh, eat more plants than anything, and you should avoid certain things you know like sugar and probably uh uh you know starches and carbs and stuff like i you know you probably want to limit that right and so i think we all know that and we it's like uh to to hear it just rammed in my uh in my soul uh was was intense but but i look back at that as like yeah they're right like you know and part of the reason i wanted to have you on the podcast was to get your take on uh, vegetarianism in general, I, uh, <clears throat> as you know, a switch to uh, mostly plant-based. I like I call it plant-based. Uh, it's definitely not vegan, um, and and I, I don't even know if it's as nutritious as it was as I was eating it when I was eating meat. But uh, from like the compassion and environmental angle that we were talking about earlier, uh, I've found it really fulfilling, and I haven't noticed any uh, health issues. I, I think it's been like two years now which is probably, you know, I probably should have had you, I should have created and had you on this podcast two years ago. Uh, However, here we are now, and I've actually uh, road tested this diet, and uh, just diets in general, you know, I think is a a shift towards evolving and uh, trying to uh, become a better version of yourself every day and just make more conscious decisions uh, to lessen, you know, like you were saying, the to do the uh, least harm and the most good. Yeah. Uh, with all your decisions and and maybe like with exercise, I've found that you know you hate it for a while because it's not 
as uh, rewarding or fulfilling or it doesn't create the happiness that being lazy does but then you find a way to like you know stimulate uh, positive juju or mojo or whatever with uh, what something you think is strenuous or rigorous and and, and, and and discipline you know like I listened to this podcast with this guy Jocko Willink and he's saying how discipline actually leads to freedom and it's like if you create, you know, these systems, then you don't, then it doesn't take as much willpower as, and uh, to, to perform them, and you can actually save time and energy for having fun or going on adventures or reading, or, reading or connecting with the other human beings on the planet. Yeah. And uh, so that's what this podcast is too. It's just like vegetarianism, where it's like I'm going to try to uh, to create more disciplined uh, routine in my life so that I can I can have. I can schedule time to connect with people because I think it's easy to uh, to lose that even in the hyper-connected information age here in the postmodern uh, Trump's America. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I just wanted to get your take on uh, the plant-based diet. I think we all saw Cowspiracy and Food Incorporated and we read uh, Omnivore's Dilemma and Food Rules and, and uh, we've been inundated with all this anti-meat propaganda and, uh, you know, I just... I don't think we've ever really had the conversation, at least certainly not in uh, in a public forum, forum like this, but uh, just getting your idea, like, and, and again, I'm not even an advocate for a pescatarian diet, which is what I follow. I just, it's just something I can do that actually had immediate benefits and, and certainly, like, karmic benefit. I don't know about karmic. Karmic, yeah, depending. You know, that's where it gets a little bit... It's a little goofy. It's a little, a little dubious there, because it's like a false sense of reward over what you're really trying to do, which is just be healthier. And I don't like the food. I don't like the term clean food. I don't think that's fair either. Cause again, that's like a very classist approach to it. Uh, it's basically saying that, Oh, I can afford to buy organics. Therefore my food is clean and people, other people's food is yeah, not. You're dirty. You're, uh, you're dirty. You're unclean because you eat organic or non-organic produce or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what, I, what I think about this, a lot when I think about these things is how much my approach has changed in the last 15 years. I think as an early Kool-Aid drinker, when I was at the co-op, I think I definitely, in a very young, early 20s, uh, early oddies way, uh, you know, carried the torch and espouse all the anti, you know, the rhetoric, the co-op-y rhetoric of, like, I hate these things and, you know, Monsanto is bad and, you know, all these black and whites that I think after kind of moving through that system from being a frontline salesperson to actually being a supplier when I was, like, in the produce role and working with farmers and really getting to know that and then also being, like, a end user as a chef and, like, understanding the food systems like that and, and really having a broader approach to things um, that I'm less, I'm still equal. I think things are important, but I think if you would have asked me this in like 2007, I would have been like, you're an idiot for eating conventional produce, you know, but I think that now I'm able to approach it of like, no, there's a seat at the table for everybody. You know I mean? I think it's, it's less about, um, those distinctions and more about what people can if if you're eating produce period and it's conventional you're still it's still better than not eating produce you know and and i think that's what it comes down to 
Um, and having grown up like pretty poor, there was a lot of times where access to, to like fresh food wasn't always as prevalent as it was to access to processed food. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a lot of America eating a lot of food that's heavily processed because the price point is right. And food, fresh fruits and vegetables, perishables, the outside aisles of grocery, as you know, you worked in grocery, the outside aisles, meat, seafood, produce, dairy, all that stuff uh, is way more expensive. And it's super perishable and, you know, people don't know how to use it. So it, it's a challenge. Uh, but, you know, if you recall, I was vegetarian for three years from like 03 to 06. Uh, I still ate wild game every once in a while. We had a connect for elk and some venison. Uh, I get that like once or twice a year and have it in my freezer and eat it intermittently, but mostly ate a pretty vegetarian diet. But I incorporated a lot of processed foods, like a lot of soy at the time. Um, I liked tofurkey products, like their lunch meat, which is just, as you can't get more processed than alternative meats you know I, I would eat those nate's taquitos uh which are like chicken style which is just like shredded tvp you know i mean these are like industrial waste products you know textured vegetable protein is like soy protein that's left behind and reformed into little chunks you know or flakes or whatever and used to emulate meat products you're trying not to eat so you know i was definitely one of those people and i had some health benefits i'm sure you know i was i had I was coming off of like my early 20s and being extremely unhealthy and you know maybe that helped um at the time but i would still eat fish and i still ate you know um some some red meat in the form of like elk or venison or you know wild boar or something uh but for the most part you know i was vegetarian i ate a lot more like japanese food i was cooking rice a lot eating a lot of kale and you know kind of being a hippie you know in that in those days and and you know it was it was learning a lot always learning a lot about food and i think the more that i've learned now uh 15 years later i think that responsible meat production which people will balk at but that is like reality is is totally fine and good for the ecosystem and regenerative agricultural practices that require you know uh moving your animals around a piece of property and having them basically aerate the soil and create micro uh, micro uh you know climates of, of 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 biological diversity in the soil uh through their shit and, and and what they eat and having your pigs go in and then your chickens to break up you know their shit and things like that like really using the land wisely uh is better than being black and white and saying that like all meat consumption is bad like we can all agree that factory like slaughterhouses are bad i mean they're horrible for the environment water methane production i mean it's it's bad there's no way to get around that um but if you eat if you make the right choices right you know and i'm not trying to be a hypocrite because everybody buys whatever when it's not like you do that every day but if you make the right choices and you support that um i think it's better now than adopting any kind of having so much rigidity i think that the, in my in my in my youth i was a lot more idealistic and like would be that this is the way that it is and i don't think that's very smart anymore obviously i'm like you know i've seen a lot of good people that really try to put the effort in uh like boxcar farms and they're doing this heritage red wattle pork and pasturing it and doing it right and using you know and having their chickens follow it the next day and you know really doing things right that restores native grasses and aerates the soil and really changes the diversity on your land you know rather than letting animals free range and just eat everything that they can you really cordon it off and you know we're going to eat this acre today this one tomorrow and by the time we get back to that first acre in 10 days it's regrown enough to where it's not just like stubble 
and they've eaten all the best things first and you know like the, those those things to me are more important and trying to raise the awareness for those things I think would be smart the whole like Jal, uh, Joel Salatin like you know, idea uh, um, approach is he the to one things. who kind of uh, fathered that circular uh, like rotation here in the states yeah I think so I think that's his baby here in the, in the states and he's like in Virginia and yeah you know, he kind of wrote the book on it. And you know, last year I had the opportunity to go out and help a friend of mine uh, that I used to work with at Reedsville uh, who had some land in East Texas. They hosted a 10-day regenerative agriculture conference out there, so I catered to that by myself, which was a lot of fun. Um, and 10 people, you know, t- or 40 people, three meals a day for 10 days. It was, it was nuts. Uh, as a cook, it was a very amazing challenge. Not like to, a reality show. Yeah, and but what was really cool about that uh, is, you know, the sh- in that situation, um, I took a bunch of food from here. I took a bunch of JBG. They donated to me a bunch of a bunch of produce, a bunch of bees and things like that, like tomatoes that had blemishes or potatoes that were not the right shape and not a produce. Um, and sometimes donated some stuff too, some some uh, sausages and things like that. And the people that I was going to be feeding were all farmers and ranchers, and they were coming out there to learn. And it was on a farm, so we had access to raw milk, we had access to fresh eggs every day from the farm we were on, produce picked every day on the farm. And then people brought pork that were pork farmers that I bought from them. And then another guy was going back and forth between Texas and uh, and Shreveport, I think. And um, he had chickens and beef, and he brought me back a cooler full of stuff, and I bought it from him, and then, you know, just used all these items. I got a whole pig from one of the attendees. And over the course of that 10 days, I made, like, fermented pickles and, like, used some of the pork byproducts to make, like, charcuterie for them for, like, a cold luncheon with, like, liverwurst. You know, these things that uh, were really cool because the food chain was so short. You know, at some points, it was, like, two steps. Like, a whole meal would be produce that they picked that day on that farm and beef from one of the students or you know something like that that made made it i mean that's pretty powerful and cool and when you can do those kind of things to me i guess having done that it broadened a lot of my thinking about well you know people that's also very elite you can't you know even though it's like very back to the earth it's like oh, yeah that's the-, the access to that quality of food isn't isn't every day you know and that's what it's crazy you know, these farmers are, like, producing really great food, but they can't get it to people. And that's a that's a separate issue, but that's that's a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, to, to think of this is, like, to me, you know, you're uh, definitely a next-level cook. Uh, and very much, it, it, I'm hearing you're just, you don't have many limits or boundaries. You just have conscientious uh, understanding of food, and you try to eat smart and a balanced diet, and uh, you don't have strict rules for yourself. But... It's funny how you can do that, which sounds like some Guatemalan farmers, you know, in the middle of the jungle, and they're both considered, you know, clean eating. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Which is classist, even though the poorest people in the world, basically rich folks are just emulating the poorest people who go and wring their chickens' necks and pull their feathers off and throw them in a stew pot with some wine. (laughs) It's like, oh, Coco Van and some potatoes, yeah. you know? And that's, exactly. that's classist. Or, or you know, high-end uh, high charcuterie or, uh, you know, uh, awful or tripe or these garbage cuts that people have been eating, the impoverished and and, uh, and oppressed have been eating for, for years because that's what they're allowed, and now everybody wants to eat, eat that. 
Yeah, yeah so like top people for in it. the city are trying to eat like country people, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that like new American revival of like diner classics and uh, you know, kind of at home, you know, pot pies and you know all these heavy badass comfort foods that get refined in restaurants uh people eat that shit up grilled cheeses i mean you know mac and cheese mac and cheese i mean how elevated can you make a mac and cheese quite elevated you know Um, you can can do whatever you want and and people will be there to buy it for a while (laughs) you know until somebody else outdoes your mac and cheese yeah uh i do find that interesting and we've always thought about that like in the kitchen um you know, uh, we would we, when we had a, a very certain crew. A lot of it was like this nostalgia-driven. What do you like to eat, or what did you like to eat? You know, I mean, I think that's part of why, even though it's completely different. When David Chang started to bring like the ramen to front and center, people had a vague idea of ramen. Like at some point, pretty much every American uh, in the last two generations, at least, has eaten ramen when they're broke and has an idea but once you start to see an elevated ramen that's more uh i don't want to say i don't want to say traditional because it's still not but it's closer to what people would be eating you know uh before it's appropriated and sold to the masses here but it but it is interesting to see how how something that had some familiarity was able to catch on so easily and now there's you know you you go to any city if you travel and go to that city's best ramen shop and it's going to slam and it's going to be a really fucking good ramen yeah. and you know it's it's awesome you know um, and 10 years ago there wasn't any ramen you know it's funny we're talking about pasta uh, I feel like that is just one of the greatest things uh, that humans have come up with I've been especially in love with the uh, elbow pasta it took the my place it took the place of fusilli pasta which I thought was my favorite for a while and then before that was raviolis before that was gnocchi's like, there's so many fun uh, ways to eat pasta, oh, yeah. but I think, from what I read, which is a real, real bummer, is that it just turns to sugar and makes you fat. Well, that just depends on the quality of the, of the flour. Mm. And if you're using, like, heavily bleached, like, you know, standard commodity flour, it's so processed already that all the things that would help you digest it are out. And it's just essentially, like, easy to burn sugar. And it's, I mean, all carbohydrates turn to sugar in your body. That's all it's mm. ultimately alcohol or anything, mm. you know, it's different types of sugar, but Smoothies. yeah, but you fruit know, juice. it's fructose and it's, yeah. it's good for you. It really is. You're not going to get diabetes from eating fruit. Well, <clears throat> I think it's all about how the portion size, right? Yeah. Well, that's always a part of it. And, and you know, just drink these heaping glasses of orange juice where you probably should. But, but again, like sugar to demonize sugar is a, is a big tent. Right. And I think that's the problem is that like this guy that wanted to contest so me about the canola being poison. It's not that, you know, the sugar, when people think that sugar is bad for you, they're talking about two types of sugar. White, they're talking about white sugar made either from beets or white sugar made from cane that is like the most heavily processed stuff imaginable. But there's a lot more types of sugar than that. And, you know, not all sugar is bad. And carbohydrates aren't necessarily bad. I mean, they're the first accessible energy. I mean, you need them, but you don't need Coke, (laughs) you know? You don't need sodas um, that have, you know, 30 grams of sugar over an ounce of sugar in a 12-ounce can. And that's a lot of sugar. And high fructose. And that's high fructose corn syrup, which is not a good sugar. That seems carcinogenic. (laughs) Potentially. but that's what's funny is that, you know, I think when we're like, oh, well, sugar's bad, sugar's bad doesn't mean, I mean, there's so much types of sugar, you know what I mean? There's like an endless, white sugar is bad, 
It's it's the devil, and we love it, and we love fat, and you put them together, and you've got every tasty treat, and Don't your body craves cake. that cake. I mean, you know, and and anything that's used at an industrial scale is going to be the worst quality ingredients possible because it's the cheapest you know it's going to be the worst flour it's going to be the worst sugar it's you know so you can buy tons and tons of it and still make you know mad money off of it you know uh whereas you go down to the local bakery and they're using you know whatever they're they're doing this they're using like locally milled flour and you know these things that are bringing the things back that actually have the more whole grain approach that have all, again, like getting back to the point where you have the elements to help your body digest these things as a part of the thing. You know, the processing of food eliminates those things. And that's what makes things like sugar bad for you because, you know, that's no longer good. Or wheat, where you take all the bran and all the things that help you kind of absorb it or pass it through your body out of it. And it's just white, chalky powder that's like basically a straight up carbohydrate. You know, that's not good for you. But if you have raw milk that still has the, the lactase in it that allows your body to process the lactose, you know, the milk sugar, uh, and turn that into something that isn't bad for your body, that's something that can happen. But when you pro- when you when you pasteurize it, you kill the lactase, uh, and then that like you know, enzymes are like lock and keys. So the lactase eats the lactose, and you know, if you without that, you have something that you can gain an intolerance to, and that's what happens is you know these western diseases where if you're eating heavily processed food yeah those things are bad for you i think you know because it strips out these bio it strips out the things that are in there to help you eat it you know what i mean uh raw milk has the enzyme to process the sugar if you don't have that in your system which you don't then you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna affect you so you think pasteurized milk is just devoid of any nutrients no because they refortify it with vitamin d i mean they you know and the same thing happens with this bullshit flour that i'm talking about this and you know you'll see it you look at a package of, of heavily processed food and it says enriched flour that's what it is they've stripped all of the nutritional benefit out of this thing it still has gluten it, it still is able to create the structural you know dynamics that it needs to you know make bread or a cracker but they've taken all the things out of it that would be healthy for you and then added in all these vitamins and it's now enriched, you know, with vitamins. And enriched flour is one of the biggest, like, industrial byproducts out there. And it fuels cereal industry, a lot of, like, other baked goods. Are, I mean, that stuff's super cheap. And it's easy to add back. All the breakfast cereals have enriched flour er, and, and therefore they have B vitamins and, you know, folic acid and all these things that are, they would be in there, you know what I mean? In small trace amounts, but now they're in there because they've been added back. So that's where it's like humorous, you know, you strip the things out and then add it back. And, uh, and that's when, then, you know, that's, that's the, that's the, 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 like irony, right? Is that if you just ate the thing, you'd get the benefits of the thing instead of having to like strip it all out because it becomes unstable. I mean, flour that has the, the germ in it is only going to last a couple days. Mm-hmm. Flour that doesn't have any wheat germ left in it lasts forever. You know, I mean, those are, that thing, it goes rancid. So, you know, that's, that's why, you know, industrialization is a scaling issue, you know, and does that mean there's too many people or, you know, is there a correction on the, on the way for that? You know, I mean, at some point, if you're looking at food production over the last hundred years, even, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, we've done so much to eradicate small farming, create big crop, monoculture, agriculture, you know, large scale farming. Um, and we don't really know what the, like, 
downsides of that is going to be long term. You know, I think yeah. they're start, just starting to see that, like in soil erosion and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't want to have another, you know, dust bowl on nutrient <laughs> deficiency. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine the whole bread, uh, the bread belt or whatever, the bread basket of America turning into the freaking dust bowl of America. Yeah. Because Again, we and just now grow all I, corn. I was just uh, listening to this thing about how they're taking down these old uh, tree line breaks that are uh, used to break you know winds and things like that this if this doesn't sound like you know dumb 101 it is but they need to maximize the land these tree breaks uh which basically protect the soil from erosion because they cut down the wind you know wind carries dirt uh when it doesn't rain for a long time and you have trees at least it slows the wind down but they need to maximize these crops so they're going to cut the tree line down and expand the farming and then what's going to happen when you know what I mean? You've, you've taken out one of the measures you have as like a failsafe, you know? And and now if you, you do have another massive drought or whatever, now you have no protection, you know? It's like that just seems like cause and effect, you know? Like you pass a tax bill that causes a huge deficit and uh, and it's not going to have repercussions, you know? It, yeah. It's like things like that. You're like, well, you don't do the most blatant thing possible yeah. and then act like there's going to be no byproduct, you know? Yeah, I think uh, in the biodynamic farming practices, I think there's a lot of that attention to the long-term vitality of a agricultural uh, setup. And in modern farming and big agri, again, just kind of are so short-term that uh, I don't, it's confusing to me how they can justify uh, ruining their source of income at the same time as you're making these short-term benefits. And even if you do tear up these trees and plant more corn or wheat, you're not even going to make that much more, any no, more money. It's yeah. just, you're just further killing the earth. Uh, it's insane. And, and it's funny, you know, uh, kind of getting back to the, the kind of elitist kind of classes. I, I don't mean elitist and like nose in the air kind of elitist, but like this in kind of inveterate elitism that comes with, people are going to be shopping in a boutique produce department are going to just have, it's not a kind of like anti statement for me, but that's just inevitable. Um, you're not buying their produce at the dollar general, you know? And, and because of that, like there are ramifications to that. So one of the things that used to get me and I had to eventually like write a whole essay about, um, with people that would see that produce was organic, but be from Mexico and not believe the validity of its organic, uh, like designation and and what that is is like a total inveterate racism that they're just like it can't be clean you know it's from mexico or whatever you know and 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 so i talked to people from oregon tilth the usda organic certification and from ccof which are like the three big organic certifiers and they were all like we get this question all the time the oregon tilth guy was like annoyed by it he was just like this happens at least once a month people are calling us or emailing us about this and you know the reality is that yeah they actually have more stringent rules because they export their organics and mexico exports at this time so this was like what this is a while ago now like six or seven years seven or eight years actually but at that point they were exporting 98 percent of the organic crop production Mexico. so yeah so you know they grow a lot of produce in mexico sure. um but a lot of all of their organic produce gets sent to the united states um and so they actually have usda organ tilth and ccof inspectors on site that go and basically check the standards of these places. Oregon Tilth certifies in Mexico. Oregon Tilth, yeah, and worldwide. I mean, all the CCOF too. I mean, they're huge. These are I don't eat Brussels sprouts grown by some 
like uh, Jedediah character from yeah. Salem, Oregon. Yeah, exactly. Now, <laughs> Oregon tilth is is big. They have they have more stringent uh, regulations than USDA. I mean, as we all know, over the last fifteen years, USDA regulations, especially under Bush, were really uh, you know downgraded to where a lot more things could pass and a lot more use of chemicals and a lot more you know different practices that weren't allowable. And then they basically had to start designating what per percent of things were organic in like a package you know so you buy a package of flackers and they'd be like 70 percent organic you know and you know these things that you wouldn't it used to just be like it was organic you know and that was enough to to understand that but to get back to this like mexican thing i i thought it was funny you know people just they wouldn't believe it you know and they would they would be like normal progressive white liberal people you know and just be like oh no that can't be really organic is it and I'm like yeah it is like it's just for Mexico, you know, and it would you wouldn't you know, and the, and the point of the article was that they're more heavily re regulated than the guy down the street in East Austin who has an organic farm um, who's growing produce because he might get checked once every couple of years. He's tiny. These people are huge. They're constantly under scrutiny of their practices by the investigators, and they're just basically in the fields, and that's good. You know, you should rely on its. Or organic uh, uh, integrity over what you're buying at the farmers market, you know, in that regard, because wow. they're because they're way more heavily regulated and checked. Uh, whereas your little guy down the street, he could be spraying, you know, Roundup and still be saying it's organic, and no one's there to to, to question him. And the ethos, uh, uh, or the, excuse me, the pathos of having like the integrity of like we're an organic farm in East Austin appeals to people's uh, a belief structure more than like this place where I've heard you can't even drink the water is making me produce that's clean yeah yeah I mean in their defense in these shallow mind elitists <laughs> defense uh, you know we know that you can go to Mexican prisons and never be heard from again we know <laughs> you got El Chapo digging tunnels <laughs> under the border and smuggling dope well, across the border and murdering people in Juarez by the dozens and government corruption i mean there's a lot of reasons to not trust uh mexicans yes but i guess i think but we do all those same things within sure, our borders as sure. well so it's not you, you know, know i, I think everybody think, does i think that nationalism helps you <laughs> overlook our own you know it's like how many people that love trump didn't like when he said oh america's not that uh that great innocent yeah either. or that innocent exactly and you know as a shallow-minded elitist myself <laughs> Uh, I think it's you have to be mindful as a consumer, and that's kind of the last, the last frontier for your true independence and freedom is to like if you don't like something, don't give it your money, you know, and like yeah. that's like the, and then that's why crypto is getting so big is that you don't like banks, don't play with banks, you know, yeah. like the, that's Which, that Bitcoin just hit like a new. Hi, it's like sure. $18,000 What? Bitcoin it was eleven thousand yesterday. Who knows? Like, 11, I can't even keep 11, up. It's and you know. Some of that stuff, I mean, I more power to you if you're into it because it, it's an, it's a whole world that you can yeah, just get immersed I'm about in. To and, get into that world, uh, I've been thinking about it, you know, and and I feel stupid that I didn't do it when you know uh, 2011 when yeah. uh, Adam Wyatt, my buddy Adam Wyatt, was telling me about it. He he has a pretty popular um, crypto analytics company called Bullberry Analytics, and uh, you know they're big on Twitter. And he moved to Montana. He's moved to Montana. 
I mean, I don't know how much Bitcoin he has, I mean, but he's been buying it since it started and is trying to get me to buy it. He's like, just buy $100 worth when it was like 13 cents a share. Yeah, I gotta, well, I think it'll I could be a multi- it's not stable. It doesn't it's even matter. A- you cash out. You got still have cash money. You got to pay mad taxes on it, but... Oh, really? Is that I mean, you all, you turn it into U.S. dollars, you're paying taxes on it. Yeah, but you it's can capital also just pay that point. these days with Bitcoin. Sure, but if you're worried about it being unstable and you want to sell it like you would be any other futures or, or stock, you would sell it high and take your cash and pay the 30% that you owe the government. And it's still fake money at that point. You know, if you have a million dollars in Bitcoin that you spent 100 bucks on 10 years ago and you got to pay $300,000, who cares? You know what I mean? You still got $700,000 that you didn't have. I mean, that's a significant increase in your investment. Right. ROI is out of control. Absolutely. Uh, but too little too late on that. You know, I don't I mean, know, man. It just dove. It took a nose But it's not going to go back to like 20 cents, you know? It's never going to. Say it goes down to like, you know, 500 bucks and still, you know, you I would buy, buy a couple of Bitcoins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you wait for it to go to $100,000 and yeah, cash out. you cash out. Exactly. Or maybe it just keeps going. God, I'm sure like, there's a ceiling, but it's got to like, once it really catches on. My concern with the bit, with the cryptocurrencies is that once you have uh, what they call narrow AI, which can basically do one task, and I think it would be phenomenal in the financial sector, is like mining for Bitcoins and like studying uh you know doing immediate on the on the dot uh analysis of the stock market and making uh, all these trades uh on you know just constantly overnight never sleeping never making a mistake always winning you know it just seems like getting involved in in that world uh is is risky right now because yeah. there's so much there's got to be so many so many people smarter than me that are way ahead of this that are fully uh, immersed in uh, accumulating wealth and um, you know just taking this cryptocurrency ride all the way to this you know just riding it into the promised land yeah and, and, uh, and where's it going you know? yeah exactly what's it how's it going like, where does it go any, uh, competitive edge there you know I think I think the benefit of it beyond this kind of unregulated wild west of, of, of currency is more the technology behind the blockchain and where that's going to be integrated into more parts of society. And they've talked about how that will be part of the stock exchange and that you know, then you don't have to have people running algorithms. You know, it just does it itself and it's got a memory of itself. You know, that, that sounds insane to me. I don't really understand like how that works. But where the applications of the blockchain will go beyond this one narrow set of problem solving you know like how how as a functional uh, code based tool can that actually help more people than cryptocurrency yeah you know and and where does that go you know that's kind of like I don't know I mean when when 9-11 happened thinking that and when that happened I was like well, where's our foreign policy going to go in the next 20 years and then now it's almost been 20 years and it's like exactly you know this is what this is where we were always inevitably going to end up. And and with something that's like a technology-based thing, it's like, well, where is that going to go? You know, what can we, are we going to use it for good? Are we going to use it for malevolent gains, you know? I mean, you know, as everything else is swaying these days, uh, you know, I think about that. But then I also think that there's some things that are really good to look forward to, like Star Wars <laughs> in two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Is it going to be on for the next two weeks? Um, forever, yeah. I'm, you know, and like, there's, and I'm 
like dozing off. There's things to really look forward to as far as like entertainment and uh, you know these other things. Whereas there's like things to be terrified of and cautiously optimistic about. Uh, yeah. Everywhere else, you know. What do you? What's the deal with Star Wars? What are we? Uh, what part of the story? Uh, so I think is it going to be a, a continue? I think it's going to be a continuation of the last one, which was called uh, the. So this was the last Jedi. The one was, was a Force Awakens. Force Awakens, yeah. So this is the continuation. And of that. everyone died in that movie. Spoiler alert. And then <clears throat> this movie, I guess, is going to have uh, a whole new cast, or is it going to be closer? No, to that was Rogue new, One. Oh, that was Rogue One. Rogue One is where everyone died. Yeah. So okay, Force so Awakens, Force Awakens introduces she finds Luke at the end. Luke, and he's got like the robotic hand, and he's like some hermit yeah. on a mountain. So it's going to pick up right there, apparently, and it picks up. In this aftermath of uh, of stuff that that is occurring, um, and yeah, I mean, there's they've done a really good job of not letting too many leaks and spoilers out about the plot, um, but everybody pretty much is saying that this is like, and that kind of, I mean, it's an over oversimplified uh, analogy that people like to use, but you know that it's the next Empire Strikes Back, and that it's darker in tone, and that we're gonna have the kind of Yoda Luke mirroring with Ray and Luke and uh, you know these these uh, more large uh, scoped dark topics that get broached similar to the structure of like an Empire Strikes Back I hope it's not political <laughs> there will probably will be some political stuff uh, being that the entire Republic was wiped out in the last one by the by the first order um, so you know, since America is the empire, we're gonna have to. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna expand on this resistance uh, motif. You know, I mean, Star Wars is like always been Star Wars. Yep, pretty much. Uh, you know, Rogue One, I thought, just totally beat my expectations of what that was gonna be like. Like Force Awakens was a lot of fun and really set up this next trilogy and had all the nostalgia feels people wanted. But Rogue One took it to this place that you know you don't usually see a Star Wars movie where everybody dies. You know, and everybody's like been been sacrificed for the greater good and you know um these kind of heavier uh topics you know and i i don't know i mean i'm i'm obviously like a huge star wars nerd so i keep up with a lot of the novels and the comics that are coming out by marvel that are really really good there's a new darth vader comic uh that basically picks up uh right at his iconic no like like scene um you know with him and the empire emperor and it's about him basically, you know, finding a lightsaber to corrupt to, for his Sith uses and training the uh, the um, little band of thugs that him and the Emperor have that are the, the Sith, uh, what are they called, uh, Inquisitors, which, you know, I mean, they go around and they find Jedis and they kill them. You know, I mean, these people, that's what they do. That's um, what's going on in the new one? In, no, in the comic. In the so comic. there's an older... Back, back, like you know, backstory. And they're Sith or they're Empire. They're Empire. They work for the Sith, but okay. they are like so force sensitive. Sith baddies. is like this religious, like shogun. I mean, what's the what's the callback to like real civilization? I mean, do they have? Uh, are they like so? It's like quasi religious and uh, heavily religious martial yeah. martial arts, right? It's like harnessing the power of your hatred. It's like knighthood meets. Well, there's only two. There can only be two Sith at a time. So it's like the knights versus these like 
uh, the dark magus, like this, yeah. uh, this shadow. They're voice. like the Saruman and Sauron okay. combo, you yeah. know? There can be two dark lords, and there's always like a master and apprentice. And, you know, I, and that was created by, God, we're getting, like, so Darth Sauron Bane. Sauron would be, in this analogy... He would be the emperor. The emperor. And, and Saruman, Saruman would be Vader. Would be Vader. So, you know, that kind of idea of, like, these two competing negative forces or whatever who are also learning from each cooperating other. Cooperating, too. Cooperating. But there used to be a whole bunch of Sith, and they eventually uh, had a civil war and killed each other, and after that, the rule of two was established, and... There could be like dark side acolytes, but they're they're not necessarily Sith, right? Oh. So they're saying in this new one, Kylo Ren isn't a Sith, and Snoke isn't a Sith. They're just like super dark side users that don't subscribe to the religious tenets of the Sith. Um, and those two are introduced in a Force Awakens. Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. So after after everyone died in Rogue One, then we are introduced to kind of a whole new cast of characters with a couple like uh, main movie uh, holdouts, like the big stars, right? Like yeah. Harrison Ford, Leah, uh, Princess Leah, and uh, Mark Hamill. I mean, that, that movie's supposed to end immediately before Star Wars begins. The movie ends with the blockade runner escaping. Oh, the, yeah, the, the opening scene the of opening New Hope. opening scene of New Hope is, picks right. up right there. So that's the intent of that movie. Okay. They basically fucked up the Empire, stole the Death Star plans, and narrowly escaped with them, only to be caught fucking immediately by Darth Vader. So this one takes place... <laughs> this one takes place a, 32 years after Return of the Jedi. Oh, wow. So there's a huge time jump. Yeah, Force Awakens so takes place like 32 a, years after that. This is... Is there anything else after Jedi? Will no. this be the first... Force Awakens was the first In thing. that timeline. This will be the first... This is the second movie in that Force timeline. Awakens. Force Awakens takes place 32 years after Jedi. This picks up right at the end of the Force Awakens. See, I thought uh, Force Awakens uh, was prequel. No. That's Rogue One. Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One is a prequel. It takes place in between Episode 3 and Episode 4. But I thought but actually, Force, like right up, it's like episode three point nine. But Force Awakens ends with the first scene of New Hope. No, that's Rogue One. That's Rogue One. Yeah, mm-hmm. Force Awakens ends with Luke getting handed his lightsaber on top I of the watch mountain. Those two again. Well, I know anytime. I've seen one of them. Yeah, I guess I should get caught up. Maybe watch uh, the Force, Force Awakens. It's Force a great Awakens. Movie. One more it's time. a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I've seen it twice. It's like a wild ride. I think I, I think I got it confused with uh, uh, with Rogue One. Yeah, I mean, they it's, both it's, feature brunettes as like the lead, significant right? leads. Yeah, okay, correct. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan, and it's funny because like Disney really injected some life into this thing that had a lot of potential that was just kind of begrudgingly sitting dormant. You know, I think George yeah. Lucas got a little little butt hurt. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that. When they came out, everybody really enjoyed the prequels, and over time, the internet just turned on them. And like, I've always loved them. Yeah, Jar Jar's annoying. Wow, who cares? People don't like the Ewoks either, but I still liked them as a kid. And yeah. I'm gonna, I don't care, you know. Yeah. But that doesn't detract from the story that's being told. Yeah. It's just annoying. No, I love your inner child. Is still yeah. Totally I mean, like, dude, I don't care, you know. And like, the, and, and and that's like the thing that I think you're really trying to get to is the story arcing because like if you get into the other properties like the Clone Wars or the new show on Disney, uh, Star Wars Rebels, those are really good and they're really dark. They're and like war movies. 
they can be. It's like a war movie. Yeah, like Rogue One is like a war movie. Yeah. You know, Clone Wars is really good, yeah. um, and really, really comprehensive in in the lore of Star Wars. Yeah, and, yeah, and I accurate. Think so. it's, it is very good. And, and Rebels, the, and the animation is great. Yeah, Rebels, the new one is equally equally good, and revived some canon characters that were uh, eradicated in this big like kill off of canon characters when Disney took over, and they're like, none of the books matter. Because, you know, they're telling a story that's proprietary and fundamentally a, a, a movie franchise first. So all these books and everything that had been written after Return of the Jedi had to be erased so they could tell whatever story they wanted. So they call them legends now. And then they are releasing new canon novels and things like Clone Wars and these other things that have expanded the universe but have, haven't touched the story after Jedi, right? Um, so they're just retconning all this story, but it's all done in a manner that's extremely consistent and... Uh, Really give it some thought, and I and I think I you know as a you know middle aged person watching that, or as somebody in their late thirties watching that, I can it, they really hit all the notes. It's not kid show. It's you know maybe under that guise, but it still hits all the heavy Star Wars tropes that you want of like you know the dark side. You know, I mean, it really gets to those points of like good and evil, and you can't just do that like on the surface. You know, I think they really build the world right. And, it's a good time. I mean, that and the comics and everything, they're really trying to tell the story in a, in a respectful way that also furthers it along as they continue to make insane amounts of money on these films, you know? Yeah, it's confusing to me how there's, like, comics and a, and a book and there's multiple movies, there's prequels, there's, like, you know, uh, uh, there's the cartoons, there's this new show, Rebels. I mean, there's so many different, you know, I'm not used to this many sources. Of, yeah. Content you just have to know one, where they are in, in the linear progression of the story, right? You know, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. They so, jump around, and they're all over the place. I mean, and they have to in order to tell the story and not step on each other's toes. Yeah, you know, um, the comic, the main Star Wars comic, take, is taking place after A New Hope and before Empire Strikes Back. That's the world that it lives in. This new Vader comic is right after Revenge of the Sith and carrying on into some of the books they've read. Uh, you know. Rebels is five years, it begins five years before the events of A New Hope. So it's before Rogue One. It's before, you know, but it but it ends closer to before Rogue One. And there are characters from that show that made it into Rogue One uh, in mention and one of the ships. And it's like, that's pretty awesome. And they're yeah. like able to create this comprehensive and uh, consistent narrative world by, by, you know, establishing a lot of lore. And I yeah. think that's great. I'm, I also think it's great. I think Disney makes uh, a lot of great movies, especially the uh, kind of the. Uh, Do they, they buy Pixar? Yeah, well, they start Disney and Pixar. Okay, yeah, it's all like Bugs Life and Toy Story, all that shit. Yeah, they amazing. own it. Uh, and Pixar started as a part of uh, Industrial Light and Magic and Lucasfilm, which splintered off and was acquired by Disney at one mm. point. Yeah, those DreamWorks and uh, Pixar movies are mm -hmm. super cool. You know, I, I certainly also have a. Uh, Inner Child, I love the uh, anime. I grew up with animated movies, and uh, you know, all the Disney movies were like allowed by my very um, kind of puritanical parents uh, who are religious. You know, I think for whatever reason, they were uh, the content was uh, safe enough for us to watch, you know, and then every now and then I get to watch something terrifying with my father. Uh, that would remind me of the cruel world outside my protective little bubble. <laughs> That's always funny because I had like such an opposite experience of that. My dad, like R-rated movies when I was a like, really young kid, wasn't a big deal to him. Or my mom, I guess, he just didn't care about it. 
and he would have me at parties. He'd be like, do your Terminator. And I'd be like, four-year-old kid going, fuck you, asshole. <laughs> you know, and I, it was like, the fuck you, asshole was my line. Oh, that's I, your yeah, line. <laughs> that was like the original Terminator. Just like, yeah, that's that's my experience. It's like watching, you know, Basic Instinct or something and, yeah. and having the opportunity to watch that. And yeah, yeah age. grainy, like, ripped from HBO, VHSs. It was like Aliens and Blade Runner and Poltergeist. Yeah. Shining. You go to, go to your buddy's house and watch USA Up All Night with, you know, like, the Gilbert Godfrey with all yeah. the, 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 like, car wash movies or, like, like beach-centric like B grade, yeah. just crap. They would get you in with uh, like breasts. You know, they would mm-hmm. have one scene with breasts, like in the beginning of the movie, and then like that this was whole it. demographic to watch your movie. Yeah, that's like, pretty just much a butt what? scene, like a quick butt flash, and there was yeah, everybody's like, whoa, oh, and you're like twelve. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Funny. The uh, so the, when did the Star Wars comics come out? They started putting that. They've always been running some Star Wars comics and graphic novels for the last thirty years, but these newest ones really started to pick up in two thousand and thirteen or fourteen. And when like so, they acquired it in two thousand twelve, and then two thousand fourteen, they just started creating all this new content. And they're like, we're gonna fill in. We have room to fill in stories. I've just been doing yeah, that. what a great world Star Wars uh, Luke has created. I feel like you can do so many things. I mean, it's like you, we were just introduced to uh, the whole Mark Hamill and uh, and uh, Leah and Carrie Fisher uh, contingent. You know, the Harrison Ford. Yeah. It's like there's got to be zillions of other people that can exist in this world mm-hmm. with their own stories and uh, and you know their own journey. Yeah, and that I think that's up with. and it's like Stephen King or anybody else that creates these really large narrative worlds that they operate all of their storytelling in. Uh, it's really cool because you know that's what create that's what lets people geek out. Yeah, you know, is the the connections between things and oh well that's that Easter egg for this thing that I know about because I read this other thing or I watched this other thing and you know and people love to geek out on that and and that is. Uh, I guess you know I'm not really into them, but but the Marvel movies people are doing that with that too, yeah. and like all these killing it. Yeah, you know, and I haven't you know Disney also owns those, so between those and Star Wars, oh they've God. just been like breaking it in. But they're also killing Hollywood. I mean, I think all these superhero movies are just, uh, even though I think they're a good message that you can start off a sack of shit and end up saving uh, New York City or whatever. From some rogue force, you know that's that's a positive message to have out there. Yeah, but I just think we've been beaten over the head. It's like just kicking a dead horse. Yeah, at this well, point. I mean, but, if I but, see any more tights. But at the same time, I think that you know Netflix, for instance, is really generating some awesome Marvel content. You know, I haven't watched any of the movies. I, I think I saw like Iron Daredevil, Man. Is that yeah, one? Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and then the Defenders, which is a combination mm-hmm. of all of their series. And they just released the Punisher first season of that and it's i just watched all of it like last week it is oh yeah and like five days it was so good and it's it got delayed because of uh las vegas and that it's obvious but it's really good and you know he was in the second season of daredevil um frank castle and he's a great character you know and like they're all great characters and in that show the defenders it, they basically built this narrative world with Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist, and each one of those shows has its own style, color palettes, music motifs, like all these things, and when they mashed them up into this series called The Defenders, they brought all those elements. So like 
Luke Cage is like very rich world of greens and yellows and you know very vibrant with like uh, black exploitation funk music as like the soundtrack and then Jessica Jones is a very washed out blue background a lot of like muted purple tones and like because that's how the comics are um, and when they have them in the same thing it'll cut from like a scene with Jessica and it'll be like that saturated blue kind of background to a scene with Luke and it'll be like his vibrant world or the dark world of the daredevil and it's just very interesting and like there's a scene at the very end of that where they're all fighting together and as they're fighting they're like panning on luke cage and it's like you know like some funk music and then they'll pan into daredevil and it's his like epic orchestral sounding music and then jessica jones is more like punky and then iron fist is like asian and it's like swirling around blending all the music i'm like that's pretty tasteful and like uh and you know homage but it's also fun. Cause is like, it like the Expendables when you have, like, Stallone and... Kind of, except know. it's like these people who are, like, not... They're not necessarily superheroes. They're, like, fringe, you know? Uh, like mutants. One is a kung fu master who has an ancient spirit inside of him. One is a government experiment who's bulletproof. One is a, just a very strong chick who also got exposed to some chemicals, the same chemicals that made the Daredevil guy blind, heighten his other senses. So they're not, like... You know, powers. They're they're not like not powers like Batman. Uh, I guess Daredevil's like Batman, except he's blind, has hyper aware like other senses. Um, like he can see everything without having eyes. You know, uh, whereas Batman's just fucking strong and smart and has billions of dollars. So uh, has awesome tech. You His know? toys are so cool. The best. Um, yeah, I guess my problem with these uh, fucking superheroes is that uh, you can just always, you know, once you enter fantasy camp, you know, it's just you can just make people powerful and giant and yeah. have all these uh, kind of uh, uh, powers, these these uh, uh, ways to kill you that yeah. are so outside of the realms mm-hmm. of physics. And, and that's why you have to have the restraint to keep a narrative world in check like Star Wars does with the Force is that there has to be like these personal like I can't go too far and then then I'm evil you know if yeah, I let if I you know there has right? to be something that like keeps if you it break tight your concentration the forces use yeah and you know if you let your emotions take over your rational mind uh, you become full of hatred and consumed by anger I mean that's pretty common too I think yeah. in real life. Yeah, are these, like, martial arts lessons at the core of this thing? I mean, I feel like there's some kind of classic... Uh, Eastern philosophy. Yeah, like some tropes or whatever. I mean, and that's true, you know? And and if you get into the what, where these things come from, I mean, that is, it's it's all Buddhist and, and like, uh, Indian old-school ideas. Yeah. That's pretty much it, you know? And the Sith is all about power and greed mm-hmm. and... These like base call them corporate oligarchs. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Consolidation Those of power, guys. man. Yeah, that's totally. all it's about, and wielding a big sword. Yeah, man. And speaking of comics, uh, you read the Walking Dead comics. So uh-huh. This is one of the worlds them. that I feel like is also still like, reading them. Yeah, post-apocalyptic world. To, America to me yeah. is so fascinating. You know, here is we were talking about nuclear war every day. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, little Rocket Man and uh, uh, the Orange Menace and the White. And House. I'm gonna keep posting Sun Ra as I see fit. Yeah, <laughs> nuclear war uh, is some bitch, <laughs> is a motherfucker. Don't you know? Uh, what you gonna do without your ass? Without your ass, <laughs> nuclear war. Uh, yeah, Sun Ra. Um, 
the orchestra. Uh, the but, Walking uh, Dead comics are amazing. Yeah, man. I keep trying to get my hands on them, and, and people well, I can, are pretty, I'll, I'll send you some links. It's hard to... Nah, they're not you, online. They're, I, they're really, online. I mean, you have to I'll pay send, for No, them. I'll send you a link. I'll oh. send you a link. I'll send you a link yeah, to it, and you can watch. You can read it all. Because there's so many things, like the fact that Daryl doesn't exist in the comics yet. He's this huge, important role Yeah, he'll never in exist the in the show. comics. He'll never exist in the comics, but he's just well, so, one of the fan favorites Yeah, and his brother, too. I mean, like... Where the show where the show misstepped is when they dragged out the Alexandria storyline too long. They lost a lot of momentum dealing with the governor. <clears throat> the farm was a drag. Yeah, I mean, and you know that was a bummer. But you know, I think that as a as a fan of both mediums, I really like Negan in the show. But all these like diehard show watchers think he's like buffoonish and over the top. But he's like super calculating, and and that's his character. You know, he's playing it like this guy sucks, and like no, he's playing it like it's written. Yeah, yeah. I you think know? people like, are failing to see that you've had to. Certain people have had to adapt a persona and a, and a character and an ideology that is it seems over the top but that's because they're in over the top times like i feel like uh yes they um they might be awful in person and they would do some of the things that uh they're expected to do say negan as a leader but he has to act all over the top because that's how that's how you keep these people attention that's how that's like the the entertainment side of leadership, you know, I think that's something that Trump is so good at. Yeah, he's and, is being an entertainer. And, like he says these crazy things. Everyone yeah. can't wait to read his, yeah. his latest. His ratings movie. are great, except yeah. they're not. But yeah, no, I mean his approval rating is in the is, is like disapproval rating is sixty three percent. Is what the last poll disapproval I saw today. rating. Yeah, disapproval yeah, rating. It's insanity. No one's ever had that in their first. But. I can't get enough. I'm personally like I read his yeah. tweets every day because it's, 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 it's content marketing. You know, it's just it's in your face and it's pervasive, and you want to know how this thing is going to end this train wreck. Yeah. Um, but you know, like with The Walking Dead, like to touch on what you're saying about like Negan, it, it they've done a couple. This season's been pretty cool. Um, I feel like they did down. They did go too many episodes without getting back to Negan, but at least when they did, it was a really good mm-hmm. way of coming back to that character. Um, yeah, it was like it was like a quiet corner. With but they, yeah, but they've done this really good thing of drawing a foil between Ezekiel's uh, uh, production of leadership and Negan's production of leadership, yeah. and how the efficacy is on those things, and how to really to really own it is to know that you're like faking it and 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 once you know Ezekiel gets all his people killed he can't bear the the burden of knowing that it's like all a farce you know because when shit actually hits the fan he has to still be the cornerstone even though he's devastated he hasn't crossed that line of losing self whereas Negan knows in order, even though he's scared shitless he can't ever let people know yeah you have to have an arrogance yeah and the arrogance you know, it definitely shows a distinction between their character, but at the same time, he's a way more effective later than Ezekiel is. Yeah, know? think about this too, like, in terms of Trump. Uh, you know, I feel like Jerry, the axe-wielding kind of, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the the knight, the, kind mm-hmm. of like the mountain to Cersei, yeah. right? You know, the, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the bodyguard. You know, even when he finally breaks, and this to me the saddest scene of Walking Dead happens where she was killed and eaten. Yeah, uh, as in again back to animal compassion. It's always but the good, saddest fucking thing. True to the source material. 
At least they're doing it right. That's cool. I Again, mean, finally. I'm, I'm ignorant of the source material, uh, but I'm just saying as, as a fan, like as a, you know, someone who's been... Dev- the, the, the most devastating movies are Red Fern Grows, <laughs> Marley and Me, Free Gold Willy, Yeller, Homeward Free, Bound. Yeah, all the... Anything where <laughs> the animals pets die, die yeah. man, It's the saddest Turner and Hooch. Thing. Turner and Hooch. Oh, it just crushes me. <laughs> like, my, you know, my, my parents just lost their giant dog. My sister just lost her dog and her cat. Uh, the cat died a couple couple days ago. The, the cat, cat died. died. <laughs> Close to his death. So sad. Anyway, um, but what I was saying is he drops his uh, his kingly persona. He's like, no, I'm just some dude. I'm, I'm just, just a dude. Fuck I'm off. just a dude. And Jerry's like. He won't even hear that. Like, he still guards him. Like, like, I'll let you have your moment, but yeah, uh, yeah, I need you to be that. Yeah, know? I'm going to let you finish, but uh, In real you know, life, you're uh, the king. You're the king, dude. I'm gonna, this whole thing is going to collapse if you stop acting like the king. Like, yeah. Like, we have so much banking on this play that we've set up. Yeah. And uh, I think there's a lot of that going on. And, and to me, it, you know, in, in the allegory, it would be like, this tax bill is like the zombies, right? It's like at some point you're gonna have to realize you're about to get eaten, and your king is is not there for you. Is not yeah, help uh, the you Republican Congress is like the zombies, and if they're not checked by people, they do things like the tax bill, which is like eat your face. And you know, eat your face. <clears throat> like these people who they're like, you want health care? We don't like that. We want you want anything good? Yeah, anything so here you are voting in these people uh, <laughs> that are fucking you and that was, that was the thing I didn't understand about the whole Trump phenomenon is that his base seems uh, completely uh, complicit is yeah. not gonna is not gonna benefit from any of his policies no, of course, of course he's an elitist yeah he's the ultimate elitist and, and, and all these other guys who are on the team he's a basic bitch at the same time <laughs> yeah I mean well he's done American steak eating he's, yeah. like, he's no nutritional value oh man he's white flour you know I mean, that's like exactly what it is, and you know these people are having it. They they're just again, it's like almost an inveterate racism. They're just undoing anything progressive that's been done in the last eight years just to spite President Obama, and yeah. that is disgusting. Yeah, and on its face, that that stuff makes the base fucking excited because there are a lot of. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of inveterate racists. They don't know that they're racist. Yeah, but they're like hell yeah, Democrats. Yeah, yeah. you know, because the Democrats to them are people of color. They're there are transgender people. There are all these things that really just challenge their comfort zone and their their ways of thinking and values. And that's understandable. I get it. I mean, I get it. It doesn't mean that that's right, but, you know, values are very broad. It uh, just seems like we're going to have this... Uh, once this crestfallen, uh, you know, diluted middle America flyover state tragedy sees its inevitable demise... Uh, and they are left with, uh, you know, no government support, uh, even though they're poor and they probably need it. It's almost like their racism, like their hatred of black people and Mexicans and uh, people who aren't like them are, you know, it supersedes their need to love themselves and to like be able to, to vote for people who will actually help the the common man who's what we're talking about it's, it, maybe it's an education it's, issue. Sup- it supersedes their ability to see that the common man 
is them and that yes. we're all one, right? Yeah, Back like, to this, this fundamental like, like Hicksian character in their idea of like, you know, once we learn how to understand that we're all one, we can like free these shackles and explore space together, together. <laughs> you know, forever. like forever. And, yes. you know, we're not there yet. You know, and, and it's going to take a long time. It's just so sad. I mean, this whole year has been a bummer because it's just like you see the slow walk down to the end of the pool where you realize that uh, Trump does not love his base. He's not going to help his base. And they're going to feel so betrayed. And oh, like yeah. they were, and there's nothing wrong. Then they're going to all vote for Bernie Sanders. Idiots and hicks realize they're wrong. Yeah. That's when violent shit happens. That's when the rise of the white. Uh, rural Christian terrorists is gonna, you know, we need a new folder. I'm moving for a new folder, which should have been created years ago of uh, disenfranchised white terrorists. You know, the white and enough of this like lone wolf. Like the the, the language is so yeah cool for and, white uh, terrorists. But yeah, they every, are creating acts of terror and, and mayhem and death. And everyone's just being groomed to. Uh, kind of like accept that it's going to be the reality. Yeah, and people are like, oh, it's not political. It is political. It is political. The, the political system has failed these people and has not looked out for their health and has not looked out for this their family. This fall has been pretty rough families. as far as shootings and stuff go. I mean, it's yeah. pretty crazy. Still the safest time to be alive, though. Yeah, all true. These, all these, you know, again, it's like the media has to make us feel like we're in peril. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's more of the showmanship of modern America, you know. We have to keep the song in this... I gotta say, there's a, there's a couple things that, that I feel like have been overarching. It's like not all Trump supporters are racist, but all racists are Trump supporters, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a pretty heavy uh, thing to, to think about, you know? But uh, yeah, this white, the, the white terrorist, I'm sick of the shooter and lone wolf and, you know, like they find these ways of... Not addressing, not calling it, yeah. them terrorism. It's 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 absolutely. And then the other quote. Uh, I keep are you if, are you afraid to go to a public space because you're you're? I mean, not you, but I'm saying like people are afraid of going yeah, to churches, concerts. Consume. That's terrorism. Yeah. Are you familiar with the movie Brazil? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the backdrop to that movie is like they're out to eat dinner and people are blowing up the restaurant right. and they just bring a little shutter out. And I totally thought about that movie when the Paris attacks happened. Yeah, and they like bring the little shutter out and like cordon off that part of the thing so you don't see it anymore. Yeah, it's like, our dust. Oh yeah, like out of our mind. There's people like <laughs> shooting people and blowing things up right over there. Bob Hoskins is yeah. uh, is a is a bumbling terrorist. Your French onion soup will be right up. Yeah, and it's fucking hilarious because that's kind of the thing is like oh well domestic terrorism isn't a problem but like that is the pr- that's always going to be the problem yeah and, it's going to be a growing problem I mean I grew up with guns I'm not it always comes down to that like I, you know people are like oh guns are bad and it's like well guns aren't bad that's yeah, never what it is it's, yeah it's people's intent to use them in a way that is destructive you know like I don't think everybody needs to have access to like every assault rifle possible I think no, that's no. absurd yeah, yeah. but as someone who grew up in a family that hunted and things like that, like you have to respect guns for what they are. And, you know, I used to run around, you know, I'm a brown skinned kid and I used to run around in the woods with a bull whip, a machete and a 22 short barreled rifle. And I'm pretty sure that if you look like me today and you were trying to do that, you'd be, you'd be shot. Yeah. You'd be dead. 
uh, you know, if I came across somebody on their land and I had a bullwhip and a machete and a little tiny, you know, bolt action gun, somebody would be like, what the fuck is that guy doing? Yeah, like and, if a cop sees a kid with, especially a brown kid or, God forbid, a black kid with even a green water gun, he's getting killed. He's getting assassinated. Yeah. And his little dog, too. Yeah. And then it's, it's like, oops, you know, we thought he had a weapon. And I was like, well, I did have a weapon. I had a weapon. And I had machete also and a bullwhip. And, it was, you know, I was, like, pretending I was, like, Indiana Jones out in the woods, you know? And you couldn't do that today, you know? And, and that's a trip. And that's – but you can go to Walmart right now. We could go and have a minimal background check to buy a rifle and buy AR-15s right now buy bullets and go do something and that's how easy the access is and it's like you know that's not the same thing i had a bolt action 22 that i had to like boom click 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 put a bullet in click 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 boom you know what i mean like yeah i'm not leaving harvey oswald in it like Mm -hmm. uh out the window with that thing you know anytime soon because it's it's a lot of work to put a bullet in that and shoot it and put another bullet in you know it's not like you know yeah and those bump stock um, that they're talking about in the Las Vegas killing seems also pretty uh, unnecessary yeah. like you it's effusive it's it's and it's unnecessary yeah I mean the only gun control I would support is like looking into who's buying these guns more but I but that that being said I still understand the kind of futility of trying to I mean, the guns are already out there, you know? Yeah. I mean, these gun shows are happening, whether or not... Cops know, are selling their guns back to the people. Absolutely. They're the all, black market alone. You're, you're like, doing buybacks and simultaneously selling back their old guns to buy new guns. I mean, that's that's the reality. And that's what we do all over the planet, you yeah. know? I mean, like, the whole way we keep funding well, Australia rebels. just did the, the buyback and melted all the guns. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, and they have very low crimes. Yeah. You know? It's also... I, very rural, so who knows? I know they have the same population as like Los Angeles, like yeah, the whole continent. Yeah, exactly. Um, and but, I mean, England, you know, you know we could look into the people buying guns a little bit more, but sure, I just have no uh, faith that we can really uh, slow this down. I mean, I think we should do some things at least on a symbolic level. It would be like, hey, you know, maybe uh, mentally retarded people who've been kicked out of the Air Force. <laughs> Uh, that are on SSRIs shouldn't buy assault rifles or ten of them. Yeah, and all this ammunition. Like, yeah, red flags. I mean, there's mm. got to be some some basic shit. But to, to that point, also is like so like you said, the guns are out there too. So if that person is denied at that avenue, they're just going to find a gun a different way. Yeah, and that's the that's the kind of unspoken thing to the regulatory aspect of it is that there's still a black market for weapons. For people who, for who, who, yeah, black market for, and alt currency is only going to make that worse. Yeah, yeah. 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 You want uh, to tonight? Fine. Ugh, yeah, strongest goddamn. Don't even alt. touch it. You know, you'll die. Yeah, exactly. People snorting fentanyl out there. Yeah, Jesus. Um, but yeah, that's why. Again, I'm just waiting for Star Wars to come out. It gives me something to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> it's like positive. Yeah. I know. Hey, what are you doing? Dude? It's it's been a grind uh, the last couple of years. But again, it's been entertaining, so I can't complain. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a different type of entertainment. Yeah, no, it's. Um, but I feel like uh, we devolved from uh, food. So yeah, we've long devolved on food. Back to food. So right now in Austin, I think what we're seeing is uh, these food groups. Like you were saying, uh, we started talking about chains, and, and immediately you start thinking about Applebee's and Bennigan's and. Chilies, but I'm seeing these just 
it, the, the places I eat a lot are just these really uh, high-end uh, groups of restaurants that are just covering the gamut of everything you'd want to um, eat done at a super high level with lots of seating and lots of parking and they're just knocking it out of the park um, and the, and just if you just look at the groups and you don't even look at the uh, mom and pops or the the one-offs um, and I don't know all the groups and everyone who's tied in with everyone but I know there's like New Waterloo mm -hmm. that came out with like that whole complex of badass you know South Congress Hotel Otoko Manana Central Standard Cafe No Say. Then you got MMH with like June's and Elizabeth Street and Perla's and Clark's and Jeffrey's, all these amazing restaurants. And then you got Elm with the Easy Tiger and the Parks. You got the Parkside Project. Or I'm sorry, what is Elm? It's like Easy Tiger. RO 24 Diner Fairground. Elm, June. Um, right. No, that's Parkside Projects. That's Parkside. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess so Elm's like Italic. Yeah. RO, which is. Gone. Yeah, I miss that place um, so much. I love that place. That, well, they just opened three properties in the library, and they're well, going to. Well, that's the fairground. That's different. Oh, that's the food hall. But again, uh, talk about more amazing restaurants opening yeah. up where you're like, Jesus, is that we just had, you know New Waterloo just opened up La Politique, this mm -hmm. huge French restaurant downtown. Yeah. And the, you got the Tatsuya Empire. You got like the East Side King Empire. Although I think he's closing Cuneo already. I don't oh, know. It's if closed. Paul Key can it's gone. It's done. So Paul Key cannot escape his stigma, right? I'm pretty sure Austin is not going to be very forgiving. He has he opened a restaurant uh, in Houston. Yeah, called a Key, where they don't care about. And uh, Houston is sympathetic to beating women. Oh, jeez, uh, he's he's definitely uh, probably less in the forefront of people's minds as a domestic abuser in Houston than he is here. Right. Um, I I think Canejo was hard for him to ever get off the ground because that stigma is fucking really real food dull i, I mean, never I, went i went i never went to key either i mean to be honest like it just, i didn't go to key i didn't like the menu yeah it didn't appeal to but me Kuneo and i, and I like really adventurous food and i just never i was yeah. like ah, i'm busy and I don't yeah know. i mean if i i thought about going to do the coat de buff with six people you sure know, that sounded fun but i kind of vegetarianism found me before that but um you know, I just think about all these rest, all these barbecue joints we have, and then you've got like uh, the who are, who's winning a lot of awards right now. You got Komori, you got Olame, Odd Duck people, of course. Odd Duck people, Odd Duck and Barley Swine. I mean, these are about to open Sour Duck. You've which got is like a uh, deli. Bufalina, Bufalina, Bufalina Duo, amazing. Uh, well, Edgewise, my my employers for Contigo and Chacon. Contigo, Laundrette. Laundrette, and then you know those guys, uh, uh, Renee and. Renee and and, and uh, 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 Sawicki, what's her first name? Uh, uh, Laura, Laura Sawicki, the pastry chef, the do Andrette and La Condesa, and they did Sway, but they all left all that, that and now they're part oh, of yeah, Sway is part of New Waterloo. No, f yeah, yeah, La Condesa also. La Condesa is part of New Waterloo. Mm -hmm. You got uh, La Corsia with Second Barn Kitchen and. Archer Hotel, two, three second barn kitchens. Yeah. Now there's one in the airport. Yeah. One in the domain. Um, and Boiler and they Nine. And Boiler Nine and Maddie's. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean they got insane. a huge, and they're, they're all doing well. And Maddie's it's great. has been, you got Emmer and Rye that's getting huge reviews. And they're opening up in Fairground also. You got High Hospitality with Uchi and Uchiko and Top Knot in Dallas. I mean. Yeah. And uh, the forthcoming, uh, what's it called here? Ooh. Oh yeah, they have a new thing coming. The Japanese barbecue, I forget what it's called. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, there's you a lot of, a of restaurant groups. You know, Sarah's amazing at a pizzeria. It's just, it's overwhelming. I, mean, I, I would say if you had to lock me in a restaurant and I'd eat my way out, it would be Uchi. You know, I just find like everything that comes out of that kitchen. Is, I, I would prefer Kome, personally, over I Uchi. I love Kome. Uh, I, I so think good. that they're still small enough that they... And the they, prices are better. Yeah, prices sure. are better and the quality is great. And I, I think that that is, you know, they just moved and opened a larger restaurant also. Um, yeah. And they're moving Saten, a new Saten, into the old uh, Kome space. And they're expanding the new Kome in the fairground. So, you know, they're booming all at once. They're doing three new concepts at the same time. Uh, Hail Saten. Yeah. Hail Saten. Hail Saten. Uh, crazy. So much great sushi in this town. You yeah. got Musashino, you got Amazing. DK, you got... Uh, uh, with a lucky robot, you got uh, Tomo, which might be the best up on the north uh, on Parma. You got Soto that just opened up uh, down here. Um, it uh, opened up by uh, Dalmo Draft House and, and Odd Duck, right across the street from Odd oh. Duck, in, in the old canteen spot. Another oh, okay. great restaurant that closed. Good restaurant. I mean, that restaurant guy, group Fox as well. Is a sweet guy, and he owns Osti mm-hmm. and, and used to do Fino. That's good. Fino is good. Like you know, I don't know why these places can't stay open, but. It just makes because it's nervous. really hard to run a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it must be low profit. It is extremely low profit. Yeah, a lot uh, of work, and you got a lot of work and a lot of a lot of money. And so many people have to show up every day that aren't yeah. necessarily paid all that well that need to show yeah. up and oh, be man. there. It's amazing that anybody gets into the industry, honestly. Uh, but I think oh, there's a lot of people that want to make other people happy, and that fundamentally drives hospitality service in general. I love uh, the hospitality business. Yeah, uh, it's a very large portion of our economy at this yeah, point in time. It feels so service safe. economy. Like so. people are always going to be hungry and mm-hmm. they're always going to go out. But it's very volatile. Um, like, yeah. like we saw with Blackstar and brew pubs, and just like oversaturation, and and uh, the more you kind of localize and have neighborhood establishments, the less the big like web of things are uh, less less consistently frequented you know i think mm-hmm. that, you know there, there's a there's a definitely a tipping point where the oversaturation becomes positive because everybody knows about it and everybody chooses those things but <clears throat> we know when you're in these like kind of early stages of that growth uh there's going to be like there's going to be oversaturation that's negative and, and that's challenging um you know hamburgers pizza these things that are like you know i don't personally like uh you know some places that that are really popular for burgers and, and I don't want to stand like in line. Friday? Yeah, I don't want to stand in line for a burger, you know? I, yeah, I, you have to go at like 3 p.m. to get a burger. Yeah, and, and that's silly, you know? It's not that great. new pool burger? Speaking of No, it's pool burger. McGuire Mormon, that's a new burger joint for them. It's right by Deep Eddy uh, Cabaret. Oh, no, is it good? I, 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 I have a veggie burger. burger. It's quite good. Yeah? So, I mean, we're going to be it's doing like our, burger, our burger and, our, and a veggie burger, and I'm really excited to see how that goes because yeah. I know a lot about selling burgers, and, yeah, you, you know, they are important. And how many burgers have you made in your life? Have I made? Uh, probably about 120 to 130,000. <laughs> the thousand at the end is a kicker. I mean, that's that's that's, that's fact. Yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, so crazy. Your new gig, you won't be behind the uh, the burners anymore, so that'll be exciting to get. Uh, yeah, in a it's new interesting. Part of the new segment of the because I've always been in the distribution side. Of the, you know, I feel like I'm in restaurants. Like my office is some restaurant. You yeah, know, like but whoever sells my wine, but or should sell my wine. So, you know, I just love the restaurant environment. Like even if I 
work all day calling on restaurants like I still want to be in a restaurant yeah. at night and, and eating and dining and selecting well I, I love the culture and, and the family like doing dishes you know it's a family and I'm sure the music scene's analogous to this too but like it's family and you get to really know people and I've been 20 years in Austin's uh, service industry you know and I know a lot of people because of that and it's interesting to see people's careers uh, actually have trajectory within that and people that I knew that were servers with me or busters with me 20 years ago who are still in the industry or GMs who are owners or waiters that are owners now or you know I mean people are it's changing and like people who I came up with are in leadership positions or ownership positions now around town and that's interesting you know it's fun it's been a it's been a hell of a ride and uh I'm glad to, to be able to continue my own growth in that too because it's important. Like, and you'll be you know. with Contigo Group. <clears throat> yeah, Edgewise is the group. Edgewise. Um, <clears throat> you know, and I think you know it's they're, it, they're still small and 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 ambitious, and that's awesome. And it's you know, not you know, Blackstar was a very learning experience on a lot of levels of of taking business to new new uh, areas that people didn't explore and don't because it's hard. Uh, democratic workplaces and living wages and these things that are the right things to do, but really expensive for a restaurant. Um, and, and you know, finding this balance of ideology and, and practicality in running a business is really challenging. And I think that's something that having passed through that, I'm better for having a broader experience of like worker self-governed workplaces and and i've been a traditional manager before as well and like i was a hatchet man for wheatsville for a long time and i you know i probably fired 200 people in, in a matter of like a year and a half two years and yeah. i managed that deli and it was a meat grinder 26 people staff you know if i turned over a lot of my staff it was pretty substantial um yeah. that's crazy you know to think about and and when you start thinking about it like that it's like you know, there's just a lot of opportunity for growth and stagnation. And, you know, like we went to go eat pizza the other week and Abigail was there and she was even being our server, but also, you know, very knowledgeable online and taking like sommelier tests and things like that. You know, literally when she was 16, she worked for me in this deli slicing meats and making sandwiches. You know what I mean? And like, that's pretty awesome to think yeah. that like years later, she's still very engaged in the scene, but also like super knowledgeable and gives great hospitality and that that is like something that's ingrained and like at the end driving the uh, experience for the worker, the fulfillment aspect of it. Uh, whereas, you know, I think not every business gives back that way. If you want to make people happy, that's the right place to be. That or music. I mean, that's pretty much or or caregiving. You know, what I mean, or being a nurse or something that like really can affect change in a yeah. micro level. Um, yeah, it's cool seeing these kind of uh, grunts work their way up to management. You yeah. Know, we've all been in this, whether we were uh, dusting shelves or in the receiving or in the warehouse or in oh, the yeah. trucks or in the, you know, do, on the floor. Selling or, wine at Whole Foods and then being in charge of other people who are selling wine to other people. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a progression yeah. that is that is very interesting. Like in, 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 in Austin, I think, you know, uh, honestly, grocery is a great way to to get your chops in in a lot of other service. I was a in a, I worked in restaurants before I worked in grocery, but working in grocery and having that consistent contact and and customer service driven interaction with regular people that come into the grocery store every day um, really 
gives you a comfortability and allows you to establish rapport that uh, other elements of customer service may not. You know, it's less, it's less, there's less pretense involved. You kind of can strip away some of the show and be a little bit more genuine when you really know, hey, like this guy comes in to talk to you about wine and he likes Cab Francs and you're going to show him what you've got and that you know, oh man, we picked this thing up and you're telling him before he asks you. Like that's the level of hospitality that if you adapt that in a grocery store and then take that to a restaurant, it's really powerful because like, you actually have people who can anticipate people's needs um, in a manner that is, uh, I mean, that's like superior customer service. You yeah, know? grocery store mm-hmm. also has all those subcultures. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like the beer people are their own world. The wine people are their own world. I'm sure the produce people, you know, are are dealing with uh, suppliers that only grow alfalfa mm-hmm. sprouts or only grow maitake mushrooms, or and they're like, you have the coffee world. You know, yeah. you've got the grocery kind of like. The store guys. Yeah, world. I mean, look at Butler. He's a great example too. You know, Brian Butler. Oh, he, the meat guys. Yeah, he, he was butchers. somebody who came from Fresh Plus, um, worked at Wheatsville for a long time. Was unhappy at Wheatsville the and Brian Butler. Yeah, the uh, the greatest butcher in Texas. He won Best Butcher in Texas award and from the Beef if Council. I could add, one of the nicest guys you'll ever. Extremely nice. And he's, and a deep, he's a deep guy. Like yeah. he really has like more to him than just oh, yeah. his skills. He's not just cutting up animals. You yeah. know, I mean, he actually again like back to what I was talking about earlier with people who are doing pastured animals and that level of concern when you get to the middle user of like a fabrication butcher and he is really concerned about that that people are getting the best thing they can get for a value that still is profitable for them that is important you know that's an important part of the food chain but uh you know he's 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 a great example of what i'm saying is like as him and ben have grown their business his recognition for his talent has finally been realized i mean he's on the usa team for world butchery competition and used to be a vegan <laughs> that's Ben. That's Ben. Like Brian was a vegetarian, though. Brian grew up yeah. vegetarian. Yeah, no, I'm just saying um, they're, consci- they're, they're conscious. They're conscious, been, you know? They've been the Which you have sides. to be. Yeah. You have to be. And I think, again, like, grocery really pushes that. The, like, desire to really meet a set of people's needs uh, drives service and, and drives hospitality in a manner that is needed um, and, and welcome. And, you know, people, people understand that and they go back. They want that interaction. They're chasing that dragon. Yeah, man. Our brother, Chris Greenwood, who I hope to have on the podcast soon, is uh, another guy who went into grocery, and I was telling him how zen and how you don't take the work home with you. and uh, Until you do. Well, I mean, you can't edit at a certain level if you're working for another person yeah. or a corporation and you're doing customer service, unless customers are there. You don't really have any stress. I found my job very easy to walk away from at Whole yeah. Foods when I was just checking in wine. And if there's no wine to check in, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Know, or beer or whatever, you know. Like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go home and play music and think about other things, you know. Uh, watch sci-fi. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, Greenwood was, he was at Whole Foods for a while. I mean. And now he's in, you know, he, Greenwood's interesting because he, he's now in a whole other sector. Like, he broke out of the yeah. hospitality grind, like the hamster wheel, which, you know, I I would be happy just serving people with, with food and, and wine and, and, and but with my but whole life. It's but also a, a, a survey, which is like. It's also a very, you know, the dark side of it is that it's access to a lot of people who are enablers. And if you're not. If you're, you know, prone to that, that's that's not a good place to be either. No, you know? I mean, alcohol no. is is Jeez. very real, 
Um, a grim a meat hook reality. So yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it's good to get out of that too. I mean, chefs, you know, we know Absolutely. it's like chefs are addiction and, yeah. and burnout and everything that like goes with it and and drinking and I mean just rampant the testosterone, all yeah, that heat they're around, all the sharp just pointy objects, garbage they have access to. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's intense. The red flag, uh, but but it's also like a necessary part of all of it too. Is like you know trial by fire kind of and it's sad and like depression and stuff like that but when people get out of it and they know that it's not good for them that's like a really positive thing and, and I, I'm always happy to see that because you know it's not always for everybody you know it does take a lot of strength and like you know with, with Chris and I we would talk about produce and that is like the most zened out job you can have I mean yeah godfather you did that shit really get into your own head in produce you know setting up displays and and culling and doing these things that are extremely rote, but also extremely uh, disciplined, and 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 just having like an awareness of what you're doing, and you know, again, like that's that's awesome. And if you can, uh, dishwashers experience that too. If you can get to that meditative state in your work, I mean, chefs, you get to flow when you're really in a rush and things like that. That are, you know, you don't even talk to the people you're working with, and you're achieving and and executing at a really high level, and that's awesome. Yeah, you know. Uh, music is the exact same thing, right? Yeah. Any kind of like group thing where you don't have to communicate like consciously, you know? Yeah, music uh, for me is weird because <clears throat> there's such an emotional and spiritual connection to making it where I don't feel that with washing dishes. But uh, with I food, could, I could get into. If you were to get into the zen of washing dishes and you know that you're washing the dishes that were made to feed people with love, then you can you yeah, can come yeah, back to that. Sure, place. I could probably find a place. But is that I, washing every dish? No. But I'm not, you know, <laughs> and I don't think it would last very long. Like I don't think you could keep that rosy, those rose-colored glasses for <clears throat> very long washing dishes because it's so repetitive. Yeah. I do think you can do zen. I'm divorcing myself of the word Zen with like fulfillment because yeah. uh, fulfillment to me why music is so great because it is Zen but it's also like I am playing you know I'm basically keeping time which seems like a mechanical thing that could be done better by some other you know more machine, robotic yeah, yeah uh, machine but you know I'm I'm wrapped up with all this love and spirituality with the, you know with the music and the notes and the, the way it makes me feel. Whereas I don't have that with work, but I do prefer jobs that have a Zen quality to them. And you can just stack that, those cantaloupes and you can sweep that floor and you can help these customers. And then you walk away and you have, and it's just like compartmentalizing your life. Whereas I feel like entrepreneurs sometimes, you know, why I would never want to be an entrepreneur outside of having a band, which is stressful enough, uh, because you take that home with you. You constantly, like, all your time could be used to further your business, you yeah. know? And that would drive me crazy because yeah. I, I, don't, I, yes. I don't know if I'd be good driving down. Correct. <laughs> it's, that so becomes, you feel like you're an entrepreneur. I have been, I feel like. Um, and I think before I left Blackstar, I was really feeling that. And I think that leaving, that was a big part of why I wanted to leave is that I felt like there was no longer, <clears throat> there was no longer any work-life balance at that level. You know, I was doing basically two jobs and, you know, I had apps on my phone that I could check the sales and labor. Yeah. And, you know, you're, when you're sitting on your couch on your day off looking at sales numbers on an app uh, for something that you have a moderate amount of stake in, that's that's a challenge. Yeah. And it's something to reconcile, yeah. you know. And I think once I finally was able to do that, I was like, yeah, this is unhealthy. Yeah. You know. I think that's a great I, – I, I forget – 
you know, as big as Black Star got and how important it is to me culturally that it just started as an idea with you, yeah. you and Steven and a handful of people that, <clears throat> you know, um, yeah, that was amazing. I love how you uh, were, I think, a big reason why you get so much engagement on social media and the, the way that you keep friends a long time is because you just wear your heart on your sleeve and you just like, I'm putting everything I have into everything and it's something I don't do that well. Like I always kind of reserve myself for either, you know, the stage or intimate moments with the wife or whatever, like these little moments that don't really uh, push me further down the field necessarily. Like, I feel like you just kind of like, here's how I feel. Like I'm ramped up about this. I'm pissed about this. And like people identify with that much more than, you know, I think, I don't think I reach people on that level. Cause probably I don't either. I don't know how to express these emotions and these feelings that you are very in touch with. You know, I, I guess I'm a little more walled off. Uh, than you are, but I think I, I react uh, in a very heartfelt way with uh, your struggle. Like, and I feel like your struggle is part of my struggle. And even though I don't worry about how you're paying your bills at the end of the night, like when you say this is fucking, you know, when I can't hire back of the staff, uh, back of the house staff, um, you know, like I think the the tribe kind of rallies to you know because I think it's part of the noble. Uh, service industry guy that like mm -hmm. hey man I'm here to just make life on this planet better to ease the suffering of others it's a noble um, endeavor and uh, and I'm not I'm not getting the love I'm not getting the energy back from those who I've been taking care of and yeah. I, I really appreciate how you had this idea like you've been so passionate about co-ops uh, specifically and uh, I think it's cooperation is so much better than competition, even though I think some competition is great. And, and, and countries where competition isn't incentivized, you'll see kind of a behind the times lag uh, that you don't see in this country where it's hyper competitive. Yeah. But the, the idea that we're, you know, we're service industry and we're, com and we're cooperating with each other and everyone makes a living wage and we're all in this together and we love to take a bath. Uh, I think that's a very uh, that's one reason I, I feel like I connect with you on a deep level is just because you're you're doing things that are uh, very uh, dear to you, near and dear to your heart and they also uh, at the end of the day take care of the community at large and uh, so the co-op thing you taught me about completely and um, I, it's, it's been amazing I forget that you're basically just an entrepreneur with a good idea that yeah. turned into something that you end up leaving which I don't know if that tainted my idea of that business. No, I, I mean, just... I, I like a rejection. No, it wasn't... I, I it wasn't uh, offensive by saying that. No, I mean, you just have to, you know, it's like some Kenny Rogers shit, you know? And first, like, thank you for, like, saying that. I think it's important to be earnest, and I think that the service industry needs people to be conscientious and selfless to fight for other people. I think, you know, <clears throat> what Black Star really positioned me to be able to do was get to the biggest stage possible to advocate for labor rights, you know? And I think, you know, when I'm interviewing someone for a line cook job, they have no idea that what I've done for them, you know, for them, right? Um, as far as, like, going to Congress and, like, trying to get people to be fucking rational about labor practices. Yeah. Uh, which is why this tax bill is, like, very infuriating because it's, like, trickle-down economics, which doesn't work. People aren't going to raise wages. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna make money. It's, yeah. it's capitalism. It's, it's how it works. Um, you know, it's going to take social pressure to, to raise wages. That's like, that's the end game. You know, they don't, they, that's a different thing. But, um, 
you know, I think it's interesting because for me, like with Blackstar, like what I was really seeing as I was like making budgets and <clears throat> kind of preparing for my exit is just that I, I was in a way, even though I was helpful in ways, was also a hindrance because the next level of leadership isn't able to fully actualize until someone like me is gone. Um, you know, like as a founder of a place, like you can only kind of take that vision so far. And even though I try to be pretty, you know, uh, like not change adverse, I, 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 I've driven a lot of change and I've also been reluctant of some things. And, you know, I mean, that's what happens. And I think when you force the next generation of people to kind of start thinking like you've been thinking, then they can take it to the next level because they're going to think about things that I was, you know, the wall was too close to my eyes. You know what I mean? I, they can think past a certain point because you're so connected to something. Uh, whereas they start to become a little bit more creative uh, with their problem solving than I think you are after like 12 years. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's um, kind of like when Lucas left Star Wars. Now all these yeah. new ideas are coming out and they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. They're amazing, you know? Like, and still so staying true to his that, owners. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like Black Star like, wasn't when any When Steven left, you kept yeah. growing. When Jeff left, you kept growing. You know, when you leave, it might keep growing. Yeah, it's, it's just a bad time for restaurants. So, yeah, so it, no, I think it'll keep growing. It's just going to have to find the right... When you open a restaurant, you don't have a good staff. That's usually the, the reality. You have the best people that you can get. It takes a, a while to find that money staff that works together well and all that stuff. And I think with Blackstar, they're kind of back to that point of like, especially in the kitchen, they need new talent. They need new ideas. They need fresh thinking and, and like a fresh idea. And, you know, I got a little jaded at the end and just was like too worried about the business to be focusing on creativity. And I think it showed in, in my food and... And I didn't like that. And that's not a big part of it. It's like, I know that that's time to leave. That's that Kenny Rogers shit. It was time to time to walk away. You know, it's just like, I got to know no that. To run. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think that that's healthy uh, instead of staying there and getting more bitter and jaded and, and, you know, drinking more and being less healthy and true to myself. Yeah. You know, I think that's the reality. And I feel like I found a really good seat on the bus with my new opportunity. And that's awesome. And, you know, I think um, kind of, What's funny and consistent with that is that Blackstar pushed some limits into some new areas, and then you know, opening a new food hall in Austin is similar to me. It's like I like to be on that. I'm glad and thankful to be on the front lines of like new new things in Austin. Yeah, you, you know? disruptive. I'm disruptive. Yeah, you know? in a way that I I could never be. I, I really admire people that uh, buck the system and find a new way to do things. I think that's evolution happening. That's the bud in the in the fractal or whatever you know starting a whole new galaxy it's like you know it's uh you plant a seed and it can just grow to amazing things you know i mean uh yeah black star was there was never a like cooperative IPA is yeah. so amazing there was I, never where would i be without that there was never a cooperatively owned brew pub in the united states and there's almost 20 i've had so you know that's many impressive amazing beers at black star co-op you Me know? Too. i've had birthday parties there i've had uh, informal, uh, just get togethers with buddies over beers. It's just such. It's been a. It's been a great place. Uh, it's so far from my house that I never really. Uh, I've been able to utilize it as much as I, I would if it was down here. But uh, you know, I certainly think it's an important thing, and you fucking uh, built that. Yeah, and that's uh, that's exciting. Right? That's inc it's a crazy thing. And I did it before I was thirty. Before you were thirty. Uh, yeah. So I feel good about that. And it took a lot of work, and it's a lot of people's work. And you know, and there's still great people there. Still great people there, and that's you know, that's what I really love is that you know it's still a community and a family, and it's gonna keep changing and growing and evolving. And you know, ultimately, it's better that I left. I was the highest paid employee, and that frees up some cash and. You know, just things like that, thinking a little bit more practically, too, of, like, it's beyond me, 
you know? Yeah. And, and I hope that it stays viable for a long time, you know? That's something that is, like, legacy shit. But, you know, I, I think about that, and, like, this has been a really hard year for that business, and I think that it taught everybody a lot and uh, uh, and showed that the community can rally and things like that. And I do think it's a little offensive that that place next door, Vigilante, has uh, also tried already to send a plea out to, oh, we're going to close because we're slow. And it's like, you know, Blackstar did that at seven years, not seven months. And I think that's yeah, like... Yeah, Vigilante's brand new. Yeah, they're already like, well, their model's kind of tricky. They're already putting out and, the whole uh, yeah, it's signal like, mm, for yeah. the GoFundMe. But, you know, to speak to this section a little bit like the idea you know these transit oriented developments and things like they kind of gear things toward uh, uh or retail mixed use uh that you're going to have this guaranteed set of patrons and it's not entirely true i mean porter just closed canteen yeah. burrow all these places that are yeah. in these very isolated uh clientele based places and they're just kind of like you know not as sustaining as i think people are trying to sell them as so i think vigilante's you know kind of a byproduct of that too it's like yeah. For one, it's hard to get people to sit in the place and play a, video, a, a board game and keep eating and drinking over long periods of time. That's yeah. just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, it sounds appealing. sounds appealing, though. but it's not reality. Yeah. And, and I think that's what the challenge that they're running into and they're trying Kinda to modify. Cool people that work there, too. Yeah. Nice people. It says speak friend and enter on the yeah. door. They've got some cool stuff in there. I mean, it's a beautiful build out. Uh, but yeah, I think that's kind of funny. It's just like, it's a challenge, man. Running a restaurant, it's not a, it's not a game. No, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, so you have these, these like, what, where you're going to be at Contigo is um, these outdoor market type places. It's indoor. Indoor. So what I think of that I've always wanted to be in Austin that I think would kill, and we're seeing these little, like, villages like Mueller, Domain, Rock Rose, downtown, that have um, everything you need in one little place. And they're like micro cities. I mean, basically, is what they are. They're, they're these little entertainment districts. Whereas, you know, and I've been to certain markets like in uh, Lisboa, Portugal, where mm-hmm. there's just this open market where you can get any kind of food and all the vendors are in a tiny little shotgun yeah. stall. And they're all next to each other. And you can just go and not know what you want. In fact, you can all want something different. And you can just say, you know, what we did was like, I'll take your oysters, I'll take your champagne, I'll take your pasta, I'll take your vegetables, and I'm going to bring it all to this table, and we're going to all share, and yeah. there's all this, you know, that, that hyper-selection. I think you mentioned earlier, um, uh, talking about just like the, the embarrassment of riches as far as choices that we have, yeah. uh, and especially in Austin, you know, or any major city, I assume, right now. Um, and, and these food courts, like, like I think of Oxnard Market or Oxbow Market in Napa. Borough Market in London. That's like where I, one of the places I went to oh. first that was like that. Well, I had my first cap front. I'm going. She in, in a place called La Cave in the Borough Market. <laughs> you didn't have my box. I had that box of she known here forever. Like I used to get those. I think layers. I probably did. Who knows? Three but this would have been 08. This is a long time ago. Oh, yeah. I don't think I had so good. When I missed your birthday party, when I missed your birthday party to be in London to see that the That was back when we were cooking a lot. Yeah. And we were like doing experimental. Yeah. I was, I was reading like Julia Child. Cutting and, chops. And, and, and you were like on next level uh, kind of uh, bites, like tapas. Pre-chefing. Pre-like really getting yeah. the... 
idea and discipline together to make make things right and sauces and yeah like we are so passionate and excited about food i'm not saying we're not dude now. that i mean i don't know it's that blog that old blog is so live which is funny and uh i, I went back blog. i went back and reread the, the the thing that i had written called like gilded recession remember that whole like it was like when we sat here and ate <clears throat> lobster for breakfast and yeah this is the richest of foods yeah it was ridiculous we had like a huge party the night before and made a bunch of food and making soufflés and shit yeah when we sat in the net we made we made lobster for breakfast and we made gumbo just it all just, day it was like two days of just over like joe beef indulgence like two days if we would have had shuffles in the truffle shaver it would have been next right. level but like we just ate and drank wine and yeah partied in yeah. a responsible yet delicious manner yeah it was like a it's like some sort of renaissance you know like i feel like that's why i'm on this planet is to just have epiphanies through music and food and people you know like congress with with your friends and and experiences and nature and that kind of thing yeah i mean nothing brings people together more than those things i think and that's like the the basis and cornerstone of all hospitality is i mean food food music art it's all hospitality when you think about it it's all about creating a, a, a means for other people to escape their mundanity and their struggles you know and i think whether it's literature or, or visual art or food or service or music, it's all the same. Ultimately, it's like all means to an end of, of helping people feel joy and grace and, and beauty in their life when that might be hard to see around them every day. And I think, you know, people don't think about all those things and they go have a restaurant meal, but that is like at the cornerstone of it is it's this like feeling of welcomeness and uh our gemutlichkeit as it as it's called uh, you know in german is this mm. sense of sense of belonging um this understanding and i think all all art and all rhythmic arts cooking included uh strive for that i think they strive for inclusivity uh and togetherness and 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 uh, ultimately like fellowship and and you know uh, conference like you're saying I think it, it drives towards that like being in the moment together eating or or viewing or or listening is like about as real as it gets right and and it's hard to like think beyond that and there's a lot of things that try to detract from our ability to do those things and when when you can provide that for somebody else that's like the best feeling right you yeah. know that's cooking that's playing a sick set of drums that's yeah. that's everything you know that's farming that's you know fundamentally any craft is trying to bring that sense of uh precision and discipline and and fulfillment for the end user and for the and for the creator you know i think that's the challenge is like yeah, man, I uh, I really look back on those times whenever they when 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 was that ten years ago? Yeah, it was like about ten years ago, seven yeah. or eight or nine, where we were cooking, and, and that was kind of like the side of food, that, and I still think that's the side of of pescatarianism that I miss is just like what are all the flavors out there? I mm -hmm. feel like why I'm happy with a limited diet is because I've had all the flavors and I get it, and I think it's amazing, but I don't need it. You know, like, I don't need to have those experiences over and over. It's mm -hmm. a diminishing returns thing. Um, so what I want to do is just find, like, now it's all about uh, what 
you know, not bang for your buck necessarily, because I, you know, I don't necessarily count pennies when I'm eating. Like to me, I have I have a job that I work hard at, so I can eat what I want. And uh, to me, like sushi and that Jap- like you were talking about the Japanese diet of like fish, rice and vegetables is so fulfilling to mm-hmm. me. And what do you, do you think uh, the pescatarian diet puts you at risk with mercury? No. No, because I've read that. Concern. No, I think that's bullshit. What um, about like BPA the, and like canned tuna? Well, Is that a huge problem? I think everyone should be aware of plastics in their in their in their food chain. I mean, that's like a reality. So plastics at this point. in the fish is the biggest. Yeah, that's issue. a new one. I think that's probably more dangerous than yeah. than uh, than mercury poisoning. Yeah. Mercury, you know, you're going to get mercury from things that are in super deep cold water that are gigantic, like, like tuna. tuna. You know, I mean, and that's, swordfish, and swordfish, and tilefish, and these things that are huge and eat other things that have high mercury. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the problem with that. But to eat the level to get any kind of illness from that, it's. It's a public health risk that's not a thing. You know, I mean, it's not like... I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's a big deal. I think that, that there's a level of consciousness that should be should be used with fish consumption that is more about overfishing and commodity and farming and things like that that disrupt native environments for, for fish. And, you know, I, I, I have fishermen in my family. I've always been an angler and, you know, things like that. And, and I think it's really important to understand that there are there are more concerns regarding depletion than there are from illness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is is that there's a lot of people, again, back to this point, and uh, people have taste for things that are limited. I wonder how much genetics has to do with how long you live, despite what you eat. I mean, I just hear, ever since I've been on a limited diet, uh, I've been reading different success and failure stories from different humans who have such widely varying diets. Some, like ballerinas, are eating corn dogs every day. Uh, this woman, Courtney, from the, the uh, Moab 280, uh, you know, the 6,000-mile uh, marathon through Utah or whatever, it's like 240 miles through Utah, 238, I think, to be exact. And they just run and run and run, and she does it under like, you know, like under three days or something. I mean, she sleeps for five, ten minutes. You know, she eats nachos. That's her number one food. Carbohydrates and protein. Nachos. I mean, I eat nachos. Fucking nachos. I ain't running. If I run five miles, I am exhausted. You know, she's like running through Utah to the sun for three days straight, taking one minute power naps. So I mean, you know, I just those ultra see these. marathon runners are terrifying. I don't understand how that shit works. I've done yeah. that a lot, but you know, for me, like, you know, the way that we were just talking about this because somebody, uh, one of Runkle's friends, just got diagnosed with cancer, and, uh, vegan, never smoked, etc., leukemia, and it's like, yeah, if you're prone to that, that's more of a risk than what you put in your body. Like, that is genetic. I think that there's a lot of genetics. I mean, I'm not somebody to speak to that, but like, <clears throat> I guess being a kid of Someone who did die from like a a, a a genetic blood disease that has been something that I, I have thought about. You know, um, you know, my mom died of a, a very complicated blood disease that basically whittled her up, and and it was really depressing. And and I don't think I have it. Obviously, I'm like a lot healthier and haven't had the issues that she had. And and uh, that's terrifying though to think about. Like, yeah, I mean, that's something that like isn't common and it happens and it's rare and when it happens it happens right mm-hmm. you you can't really get around that 
you know, you can't control a lot of things. And what you can control, you should try to control. You know, right. like, that's the reality. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you're any safer. There's no magic bullet. You know, if you get hit by a car, you get hit by a car. Like, it's, you know, if we get crushed by an asteroid, it's not going to matter if you're a vegan or fucking chain smoking marble reds. It just doesn't matter. You know, I mean, fundamentally, you could be Harry Dean Stanton or, yeah. or uh, you know, the most healthy human alive. and yeah, I mean, how many Keith Richards are there out there that can just smoke and do all the drugs? And Millions. Yeah, maybe. Millions. What if I'm one of them and I've been eating a limited diet despite my... And you really need thing. more nicotine and tar- yeah, carcinogens. Yeah, still smoking cigarettes. Like, I loved American Spirits. Quitting American Spirits sucked for me. I never, I like, never smoked a cigarette. I've never taken a puff off of a cigarette. I know, but I'm saying, like, once you try it, again with that idea that your biome, like, creates... These like needy baby oh, yeah. birds, your that brain, need whatever you fed it and liked. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like this whole system, like uh, enabling of bad habits. You know, like yeah. every cookie I have creates a whole uh, mm. population of cookie demanding biome of yeasts uh, yeah, that bacteria. want sugar in your body. Yeah, and, and like, hey man, I'm like my brain. I mean, I have to like fire up all my willpower. Yeah, to not <laughs> eat cookies. You know, like in my office, like cookies and sweets are a reward oh, yeah. for hard work. Like people feel better when they eat sweets. You know, and there's sweets laying around like little, you know, like Facebook likes. You're like, bing. Ah, yeah, that was ooh. nice. Yeah, hey, I like that. That doesn't suck. Uh, you know, yeah, so, no, like, that's true. Every little, and that brings me back to every little thing you do for yourself helps a lot. You know, like every. I think step. we'd like to think that, and I think that, that we should think that because it may help you make good decisions. Yeah, but I also think, as a realist and a, and a humanist, that uh, we're spinning on a rock in space, and we assign a lot more meaning to things than is real yeah we worry about <laughs> we worry about shit that we have no control yeah, like over the detoxing thing is something that keeps coming back like you hear all these the yogis like oh i do this to detox and yeah. it's like that's what your your organs do they detoxify your body it's already happening yeah like your sweat is not toxins leaving your body it's just it's just water basically it's, it's, it's just liquid it's passing through impurities that's yeah. about it yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. salt, you know. I mean, and really, yeah, there's a lot of salt. They forget about salt. I mean, yeah, that's like you know, I don't know. That's where you know. I think I try to make rational decisions. Try to limit my emotional decision making, uh, and try to make healthy decisions. But I also am human, and I fuck up a lot. So I think that's like a reality of it is like understanding that I only have so much control over all the things I think I have control over. You know what I mean? I think that's always been, uh, as a non-believer, the highest thing I can like achieve is knowing that that or feeling that. I guess I another thing that I've softened on is this knowing idea of anything in that realm, but softening on uh, that you know the random chance of life, the random chance of 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 just our universal presence is is extremely powerful to me. Um, and one of the things that really changed my life and like changed my perspective on that was the first time I ever saw the Hubble Ultra Deep Field photographs. Yeah. <clears throat> Blew my mind. And now they have new ones uh, that are even more impressive and even more insane. You know, the, same telescope. Same telescope. New new set of photos. Um, and you know, it just reminds me of our insignificance and something about that creates the significance of our moment to moment being for me. And that's like a driver, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, uh, I feel very strongly about that. I've tried to like really change my 
mindset from being like anti-religion, anti, you know, whatever, to be more about understanding that you know we attach significance and that in doing that that like righteous act of being like no this is what matters these people matter to me and all these things that i believe matter to me and all that matters even in the the face of knowing that i'm infinitesimally small you know and 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 random And, and i think that that is uh at that at that very backdrop of everything i think and believe and do that is like the driver for me is like we give this meaning we 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 are here to help each other. We are here to help ourselves. Um, and it could all be taken away tomorrow and we have no idea, you know? Like, literally could just be wiped out. And the cosmic events are so much more than us. Uh, and that's really, to me, really powerful shit, you know? So, not to digress too much, but that's that's really where it all comes down to. No, right? this, this podcast is a digression. I think the whole point is no matter what you do to limit your diet and to control nature and to get your your bubble all cozy around you where nothing can harm you, there's just chaos. There's this overriding chaos. The world is trying to kill you. Why not make it easier on yourself? Like, do you have to help chaos kill you? Like, I just see all these people who know that cigarettes cause cancer. And they're just light, they're chain smoking. And it's like, don't you know the, the air and the water and the North Koreans and whatever are trying to kill you? Don't you understand? Like, like really trying to kill you. They want you dead. Yeah. You know, the, the ISIS's of the world and, the, and the, the cartels, like they want you dead. Like they'll kill you. You know, these are But their sphere of influence is small. There. You know, I mean, that's the reality too is like, I, oh, air and water is a small influence. No, I'm talking about ISIS. I'm or, just saying, like, but all these things air and water come together to try to kill the human being. Yeah, no. And here we are helping it along, <laughs> lighting up cigarettes. Not only are we like smoking cigarette after cigarette, but we're paying through the nose for these things. Like We're depleting our cash to give ourselves cancer so that we fall into this weaponized medical system that one trip to the hospital could financially cripple you for your entire life. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like education. And beyond. And beyond, man. Yeah, I, like used financially, to get, you're trying to get assassinated by all sorts we of We used to predators. get benef- uh, uh, or uh, uh, collections for my mother's medical bills years after she was dead. You know what I mean? And it's like, dude, no one's paying for that. It didn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she died. Uh, y'all, y'all went after the symptoms and not the cause. You're not getting your money. You're not getting your money. <laughs> you know, you're never going to see a cent. Yeah. Well, you know, that's because doctors are not, I don't feel like they're taught about nutrition. They're not pushed to teach people how to live. They're pushed to deal with one-off co- you know, one off uh, symptoms, and then you are falling into the pharmaceutical trap, which sells you uh, the possibility of feeling happy, and arising above the drudgery of the, the American existence, and yeah. then before you know it, you're buying uh, heroin <laughs> or fentanyl off some dude buying a dumpster, and you and, overdose. And you overdose, and you die. yeah. You know, and, and maybe that's uh, for a separate podcast. But you know, growing up, 
in the in the lifestyle that I did as the as the like child of a of a drug dealer, I really feel like I got to witness a lot of that shit firsthand. And again, that's a huge topic to broach, but uh, but it is real. And the the the, the black market and the uh, overt um, consumer market for drugs uh, is is very powerful. And understanding that. They both achieve the same ends, which is this false sense of mortality that people are chasing to uh, escape the reality that they're that they're really insignificant, you know. And and I think once you come to terms with your insignificance through how meditation or psychedelics or whatever the fuck gets you there, um, you'll you'll be able to experience peace again and understanding that 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 you know that's really important to our experience is the understanding that 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 you are small. And and losing the narcissism of, of humanity, you know, I think that is like that's the goal at all at all times, you know, is to yeah. try to achieve that. And when you can do some elements of that, uh, it feels decent. But it's you know, there's it's a lifelong journey, right, of attainment yeah. of understanding. Man, I'm starting to find these like places in my mind where when I'm helping myself. I actually get endorphins instead of like hating it. Like when I was younger, oh, like yeah. as I approach 40, you know, I just turned 39. I'm thinking every time I am on the treadmill or every time I'm taking a walk with my dogs or hanging out in a park with my family or doing work that's, that's making people money. Like that all gives this kind of, um, you know, this, this feeling that, what is it, altruism or something, you know, where it's a, just like this deeply uh, uh, fortified good thing you're doing. Like, no one, this is, you know, unchallengeable good. Like, this is, you're absolutely helping people, and there's a certain, like, self-satisfaction that comes with that. And I think we all need to find that in exercise and meditation and yoga or cooking, like, all these zen activities uh, that can... Uh, make you feel great. That's like fighting cortisol levels, which mm-hmm. is reducing stress, which I think is one of the biggest uh, killers. Killers in our period. Yeah, another yeah. you know another invisible force like the air and water that's trying to kill you. But, so stop helping. And it. what's the driver behind that is expectations and not managing your expectations to a point that's reasonable. And and like that's where society and advertising and all these things. <clears throat> come in the way of uh, of true self and true understanding and like define expectations of beauty and intelligence and and uh ableness and you know race and all these things all these constructs and uh create unrealistic expectations for you that you're never going to fulfill and and that lack of fulfillment creates stress you know i mean if i and i think you know i don't always do that well and i sometimes i do but i think i've thought this through quite a bit and and uh back in the day and you know really if you manage your expectations about what you can actually achieve and and how long that can take and giving yourself time and understanding that the attainment of perfection is unrealistic and things like that give yourself some give yourself a break and give yourself some slack you know to work with in the in the line you know as you go forward and i think a lot of people don't do that when they don't do that their expectations are unrealistic and you're inevitably going to fail and when you fail, you feel stressed. Yeah, it's like the story of my life. Yeah. Like, I guess I hate on myself and, like, not being my own friend. Like, not, I think I'm making less and less decisions that are sabotaging my health. But at the same time, 
mentally, I don't know if I'm ever letting myself, you know, really off the hook enough, like just kind of relaxing. Like, I feel like you're good at, at just brushing shit off. That's not that important. I mean, I, I feel like you get up worked up about things that I wouldn't, but at the same time, like as far as like rules for yourself, you just seem to have a more, uh, relaxed balance approach than I do where I, I'm a lot more self-loathing and, uh, you know, I don't think I think I'm creating stress where it doesn't need to exist. Like I heard a comic, uh, her name is uh, Whitney Cummings, and she was saying that she read that it just the when you're in an airport and you have 20 minutes on your layover and you have to eat and you're like, oh my god, what's the most, what's the least harm? The least most, harm, uh, the sandwich and that chips or what is it? Airport, like she said, like that. Um, just worrying about that creates all this cortisone or cortisol what yeah. is it cortisol. cortisol cortisol that is doing more damage than any big mac could ever hurt to you. your heart to your immune system yeah. to your brain to your organs yeah i mean it's hardcore. Feel like when you see these old rich billionaires that they just like chewed up from within you know like because once you have it you're afraid to lose it i'd much rather be one of these healthy you know, somewhat trim, like uh, athletically capable. I'm not retiring ever because I love what I do. Seventy year olds, than one of these billionaire. I have six yachts and I my skin looks like uh, a raisin and and you know I look like a degenerate like Rothschild. Um, you know, like I, I quality of life is everything. Like this uh, vapid chasing of wealth and and, and power success and, and happiness it, it just doesn't exist like you really have to just adopt a different mindset and enjoy the zen of all these like routine things that make up the human life yeah i mean i think that really is it is like understanding that there's like a lot of mundanity and like rote shit you're going to deal with and that none of it matters and ultimately you've got to keep doing it and get better at it and attain some level of like increasing your efficiency you know i think that's like yeah the pushing of yourself to get better at what you do and you know economy of motion kind of idea and like if you just sit there and spin your wheels it's like not i don't know if you stress out about things that are outside of your control like realistically that's just not not good it's not yeah good like working hard does not mean working smart like you can yeah i'm not not sound like the four-hour work week guy but i mean he's really saying like if you condense the quality of your work down to a small block, you can just be as as productive as you are if you grind away for, you know, it's kind of like the same argument with the high intensity interval training versus just running, like jogging for miles and miles. Yeah. Like the wear in your body is not worth the health benefits you're gaining from this like sustained dying thing you're putting yourself through. Yeah. You know, maybe you get some endorphins from it and, and, and your, your lungs and heart work great. Sure. Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're cleansed with all the sweating that you do. But, you know, maybe the damage to your joints is more, you know, it's maybe going to cost more than it would if you didn't have the healthiest heart in the world. Long-term uh, long failure for short-term gain, right? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's, that's like consumerism in a nutshell, too. I mean, to, yeah. to wind, it, wind it up, that's like the whole thing is that you're supposed to consume and consume and consume. As a, as a citizen, that you're spending all of your money uh, pretty much trying to chase some status. And I think that's, like, part of the challenge, you know, for, for the everyday is uh, 
understanding that you have to find ways to subvert that as much as possible. You yeah, know? the American disease. Co-ops is a great way, using a credit union. I mean, I don't know. There's all kinds of ways to do that. You shop at a farmer's market. Yeah. You know, uh, go to an independent butcher. You know I mean? Like, yeah. you know, do things that help smaller economies than larger economies. I mean, we all sort of buy Amazon and go to Whole Foods and shit like that. I mean, it's inevitable. The quality drives the consumption there. But, but uh, there's also elements of status there that, that could be avoided. But I think people who are, who are ultimately going to be, you know, behind there, that kind of stuff doesn't even affect, doesn't even affect them, you know? Well, when's your, uh, when's the, the fairground? Is that what, the, what they're calling where you're working? Yeah, days? that's the whole project. Uh, I'll be at Contigo Fairground. So we're looking to be open probably around the first of the year, that around that time. Cool. So that's when up. the Fairmont opens too. That yeah. Some big openings. Yeah, I know. Fairmont's also and huge. And who else is with your restaurant? Uh, Emmer and Rye, Antonelli's. Emmer and Rye, Antonelli's. Easy Tiger, Kome, Daidue. Daidue. We've mentioned most of these already on the podcast. Yeah, I think so. It's funny. Yeah, no, they're all down there. Wow. That's some of Austin's finest right there. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Antonelli's cheese, just next level. Yeah. You know, as a pescatarian, that means I eat a lot of cheese it was kind of embarrassing last night i had like cheese enchiladas after the dead show and queso nice it's a double whammy I'm like what the fuck am i doing to myself like, eating I cheese I, just, just enjoy the cheese man just close. enjoy the cheese yeah man i eat a lot of cheese that'll be good it's so good yeah but i don't know if it's good for me why cholesterol you know I what i've been eating for know. breakfast uh i heard this from reggie watts it's blueberry kefir Lactose free. Again, stripping things out of, I don't know if that's good or bad, but we're taking the lactose out of this kefir. And then I had oats and flax seeds um, and blueberries and pomegranate powder and MCT oil <laughs> and a little bit of apple juice for sweetness because it's pretty earthy, sometimes almond butter. Nice. But it's, you choke it down, but it's, uh, it fuels me till like 1, 2 p.m. Like, I eat it at 8, 9 o'clock a.m., and I feel great till 1, 2. So, it seems like my body's using all of that. I, I love finding these compact ways of eating that give your body everything it needs, but it doesn't take a lot of, like, work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like a, you know, like a heavy smoothie. Yeah, or like the protein pill of... <laughs> It, you know the space oddity uh, mythology that, that stuff called that people drink uh, uh, soylent <laughs> soylent green yes no you know I'm trying to find these like and I, I swear to god sushi is one of them if you get some like sauteed Chinese broccoli and some sushi like I could eat that every day or bok choy or yeah. brussels sprouts whatever broccoli yeah some kind of brassica some sort of green you know crunchiness and maybe some yeah, rice. Fish and rice. Yeah, fish and rice. It's so good. It's so basic. Yeah. You know? Fundamental. Fundamental. I need to find these core things that I can eat that aren't bad for you. Like, that are like, scientists are like, fuck yeah, eat that. Get, you know, get all up in that. Yeah. Uh, get up in that, you know, oats, guts. <laughs> you know, just dive in. Like Scrooge McDuck and there's just a pool of rolled oats. Yeah, that's that's funny. How, how did he dive into a pool of money? I never, you know, how do you not impact on the surface? What's the surface tension of coins? Yeah, no, you would definitely break your neck. You would your break neck. your neck. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty solid metal. 
Yeah, no, it's That'd pretty be like Yeah, diving into a floor of metal. Yeah, yeah. hilarious. I mean, how a top hat would go on a tiny duck head also. <laughs> confusing, you know. True, true that. Uh, anyway, all right, man. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up. I think that's uh, two and a half hours. That's Jesus, holy shit. Let's do this again. Word. You want to do this pee. again sometime? Yeah, we can do it again. Cool. I got pee. I got to pee. All right. Peace.